Hey everybody, this is Jacob, one of the co-hosts on the Back to Back Films podcast. I'd like to take this moment to talk to you guys about Film is Truth, a video rental store in Bellingham, Washington. I had a hard time finding a movie that I was supposed to watch for a class. Uh, The movie was a celebration. It wasn't on any of the video streaming services or on DVD.com. But they had it at Film is Truth, and they had a wonderful staff that helped me find the movie and others that I wanted to watch. It's located in the Terra Organica market, so you can get your films and your groceries in one go. So give him a shot. week's episode of the back to back films podcast this week we're covering nocturnal animals and perfume the story of a murderer with byron running the episode as always we recommend that you watch the two films we'll be discussing for listening to the episode i'm your host keith this is byron and i'm jake who's texting away right now <laughs> rude i got uh, things things the other more important things to do right now more people, social life oh more important people to talk God. to <laughs> A.K.A. This is the wife. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta say something. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we unfortunately got busy last week. Just were not able to record, um, and we didn't really do anything in between, which we should, probably should have. But uh, so yeah, so now we're back in full swing this week. Um, with that said, do you guys have any updates on anything? Did uh, how did your uh, festival go, man? Oh, it went okay. Um, the, I mean, the film is what it is, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it went fine. The, uh, it was nice seeing all the stuff up there and ours, ours was like easily the most technically like brilliant, you know, Oh, cool. Sure. Uh, which was nice. Cause there's a lot of like, you know, just kind of rough audio and stuff like that. So ours was like there on that front, which is something we spent a lot of time on. Uh, but um, you know, it would have been nice if the if the content was there to match it, and um, it just it just wasn't. And there's there's some you know things I'd change uh, with it. Uh, so I was actually going to dive back into it before bringing it online, and you know, kind of see where it lands. So yeah, that's that's always the case, I think, with a lot of films is people get really good at the technical stuff, and then there's no one who's part of a group. Or who spe- specializes more in the the substance in the, in the of content, it, like. yeah, and that and that's that, just, that was a big problem that we had the entire shoot, uh, just with like the script, uh, yeah, and we you know the script was awesome, but we ended up changing a lot of it, and I think it kind of hurt the content a little bit. That's the so. forty eight hour, right? Uh, yeah, oh yeah. So I mean, the script is not going to be like super tight. Obviously, because you don't have a lot of time to write it. Right. Um, but that's also assuming that you're even going for substance in a story. Sometimes you're just not. Sometimes you just... Want the technical. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it, it was just, like, a weird mix-up of everyone being on different pages as far as, like, what the goal was. Um, which is on me, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I gotta take a look at the edit and see, see what, what, what I can kind of salvage from it because it's not like it's a horrible video it's just not it's not wowing you know what i mean there's yeah. not like wow factor or um it's not really that impressive at all 
in at all. So, so uh, you know, we're just kind of diving back in and see if we can make it like interesting. You know, nice. well, I'm oh. curious to see it, man. Yeah, I'll have to send it uh, after after I'm done. I was going to dive back into it this week, but I haven't been able to because of you know just work stuff. But yeah, I think I think I'll be able to get in there this week. I think uh, maybe tomorrow. I have less to do. So here's something I'm curious about with that Bud Light commercial that you were in. Oh yeah, that was um, awesome. oh that yeah. Said you like help or you co-produced? Yeah. So the agency I'm on retainer with, they have Bud Light as the Pacific Northwest branch of marketing. They they have the the Bud Light client for that. You know, for that right. branch. Um, so we've been doing some stuff called like the Bud Light uh, cleanup, and it's it's essentially like uh, just Bud Light going around recycling with uh, yeah. celebrities, and it's it's attached to like sports uh, games, you know, because it's Bud Light. So we're doing a lot of Seahawks stuff because that's kind of the that is the sport um, in the Pacific Northwest that people follow. So yeah, it's um, what I'm curious about is the co-producing part of that. Okay, so uh, let's see. That was the second one we did. So we've done three, and we're doing our fourth one um, next in a, in a couple weeks. Uh, but the first two, I was kind of on set, uh, almost more of like an assistant producer, maybe kind of a co-producer, and just like helping um, run the show, essentially, almost almost like a line producer, I guess, is the role. But it's a really, it's a pretty scrappy little setup, right? It's just the uh, director, the cinematographer, the uh, celebrity, um, and then another producer, and then me. And the reason yeah. I'm there at all is because the main producer uh, isn't able to be there for the third and fourth shoot. Um, so I was there for on the first and second with him, going through the stops, learning who I need to like talk to in order to like get everything figured out, um, in order to shoot there and all that stuff. And um, yeah, so this so that way when I'm ready for the third and fourth one, I could just show up and run the show. Um, and the we did one. We did the third one like a few, two two weeks back, um, and of which I was like the onset producer, you know, because uh, he was on vacation. Uh, so, so you're yeah, moving up in the world. The what? You're, move, you're moving up in the world, like jumping to producer. Like that's kind of like where a lot of people I think want to be. Yeah, dude, that's they like, might not know it, but I think a lot of people want to be there because they're the ones who like manage the money they, they manage like the people yeah. they manage the show like and they like they pick like the creative you know like who who what creative you're going to be making and stuff and right it takes a pretty detailed orientate uh orientated person to do that which i think i'm capable of but i don't love doing that but i don't mind doing it um but really this is just like a, just an opportunity to get into something a little different because normally i'm sitting at the computer and editing and you know, I kind of want to get some more onset stuff. So, and it was just kind of fun. And uh, the the director guy was just like, "Hey, do you want to be in the shot?" And I was like, "Sure." <laughs> and I, I didn't realize it was like the opening thing. And you know, because I, I I read the script, but when you're producing, you're just like, uh, all you're worried about is like, "Hey, are we gonna get in trouble because of this?" Or Hey, like we got to make sure that this person is here at this time, you know. Right. Right. So, not really thinking at all about where the content is, but uh yeah, it was kind of fun to kind of to kind of be in it. So, that was, that was pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, what did you guys shoot awesome. it on? 
Uh, let's see. I think the guy... I mean, it's a pretty scrappy little uh, thing, but it was some kind of a Sony camera, if I remember okay. correctly. Oh, okay. Like a Sony F-Series or something? Yeah, I think it was the F-Series, yeah. Okay. That's yeah. a nice camera. But yeah. it's like a good camera. It's not a DSLR. Yeah, I, it's like a I, it's a video camera. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It looked, it looked, the footage looked great. I mean, I, I, I just figured it was, yeah, some sort of, you know, rig like that. Or, you know, red or sony or something oh yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah it's cool yeah nice sick yeah, that's dude. awesome sick man. byron yeah. are you uh when was the last time we talked had bleeding ham happened yet uh i don't think no. so oh, okay yeah so the bleeding ham film festival happened which was cool um because it was last weekend right yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we recorded right before oh, okay. yeah, that Thursday. Yeah. You were yeah. gearing up, you were like trying to decide like do I give when I go accept my award, do I give them the crotch or the butt? <laughs> like you're trying to decide what ice cream you're gonna have, like decisions, yeah. man. Well, I we didn't end up getting any awards, which is totally cool. I mean it was like the experience is kinda of what it's about, really. I mean for me, but like it was kind of it was tough this year i mean it was the films were definitely higher in like production value i mean everybody kind of amped up their game nice. um which was cool uh um but it was a sweep right it was a sweep the for the the top three films um won basically everything um, which I two mean, of them I, were Bellingham ones? Though, I understand. I think. Yeah, and two of them were the two Bellingham ones, especially were well. The one um, was really well done, and uh, it kind of blew me back. There's like a little shot in the film that like I just wasn't expecting to see, and it was it was awesome. Like it, not that was that those that, that wasn't Braceface, right? I saw it Braceface. Wasn't Braceface. Braceface was was good though, but that one, yeah, that one won. Um, I think a couple of words too. Okay, that one was pretty good. Yeah. Um, this one, the one I'm thinking about is Transitions by yeah. Eddie Hayes, and that was hmm. that was well done. There was like a uh, a scene um, involving a combination of like VFX and makeup that nice. was really pretty cool, and he did it himself. Um, That's cool. So I was I was really impressed with it. Like it 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 looked it like it. Like it doesn't look fake or anything, you know. Like it, it holds up. Um, oh, weird. Because it was so subtle, but yet so noticeable at the same time. Because like it was a kind of a, a very integral part of the film. Right. Um, right. I don't want to give it away because I'm guessing you guys will probably see it when it comes up online. But yeah, it was that was impressive. And then there was a guy that had a film last year that had a very similar color um scheme as our film last year so i remembered that film because i was like oh he must probably like similar the similar mm -hmm. tastes as, yeah. as as mine um or as me and uh and his film ended up getting first place this year and his film it was like just really well done i mean it was what was great about it, it was it was very well done technically but you could tell that they had really thought about the story behind it nice. and that things were very well thought out, mm. which that was really cool to see because there were a lot of 48-hour films, too, this year. Yeah, and I I kind of go back and forth on that as a thing. like Because the rules are that you can – anything within the last two years can right. be submitted. And, like, you know, 48 hours, fine if it's good, but, like, I don't know. 
I kind of just like I think of those things as so separate that I yeah, just kind of yeah. wish they yeah. would stay separate. But yeah, because there were some. I mean, they had the same lines because you could tell that the lines were the ones that they had to put in the film. Oh, so yeah. like it kind of became apparent to me. But oh, weird. I mean, <laughs> That's hella funny. <laughs> but he even said like you know at the beginning or the end of the film he said you know made for the four, Seattle forty eight hour film project or whatever and. So it kind of it kind of takes you out of the quote bleeding ham experience, right? You know what I mean, Cause right? Because it feels like this like cheap like yeah little, it, yeah cheap submission yeah so, like I mean, it wasn't made with care like almost it's yeah. like corporate yeah no that makes like, sense. they were they were well done but it kind of threw me up just a little bit and then one film that actually ended up getting the scariest film was twenty seconds long. That's what I heard. No, uh, I think it was a minute. I think it's even less than that. I think it's like literally twenty seconds long. Someone because, kept. I kept seeing a minute. I was. I didn't go to. I didn't go to either showing. Because he. Because he. He. He made it for a fifteen-second horror film festival, oh. I believe. And then I think he just slapped credits on it or whatever. I think it's about twenty seconds long. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's like so super was quick. I mean, yeah, maybe it was. Give us the uh, synopsis of this uh, thing. It's it, okay. It's called Deep Sleeper. Is by Ty Huffer, who won last year's film. Okay. So it was really well, I mean, again, really well done. Like, technically and just visually really well. Uh, just awesome. And it's basically, it starts with this lady sleeping in her bed with this cool blue lighting, like, you know, like a cool light night yeah. lamp or whatever like right. by your face it's yeah. just a really cool blue lighting and then just like there's like the sound or something and all of a sudden like the lights turn on and she she like pull pulls off her blankets and there's like these fucking clowns and shit like eating her legs off Whoa. and then all of a sudden this guy comes out and he has like a fucking saw and, his, and her husband is like screaming and like there's this thing with like like I think they must have had like put like a women's nylon panties or something like over right. his face and then put makeup on top of it so it's like the jaws like moving up and down and like it's just crazy oh, like weird. shit and there's like blood going everywhere and stuff it like and then it just like ends with like you know them dying get killed or whatever like right. it's super quick and it's just like it end and the the sound was what I think really kind the of sound like, yeah like really just go whoa 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 that's awesome and it it at one point all the sound goes away and you just see the saw blade going up and down and that's all you hear and then it just like ends and it's just a you know, deep sleeper and then it ends and you're like whoa whoa whoa, whoa yeah you're like hang on <laughs> do it <laughs> again it? Yeah. but that was awesome <laughs> yeah I love that because that like just goes to show like you don't need story yeah I mean like, it, it was crazy because like. I, it, but it was so good that I wanted more. I mean, I, I was like, and the guy's so talented. I was like, fuck, like, I, I, I want to see what he could do with ten minutes or fifteen minutes. I mean, last right. year's is, was really good, it, and it wasn't super long either. But uh, it, you know, it was like maybe seven or eight minutes or something. But this one, I mean, it's like fuck, you know, like right, yeah, because you're I, you, you kind of like as far as like the story, it's just like someone wakes up and it's like literally everyone can relate to that like right off the bat you know and that yeah. feeling you know that you get when you're like oh shit is something wrong you know yeah, yeah. And the, and like the actress i mean she did such a good job like this 
the one shot of her face really as she's waking up and looking like down at like it was just really cool. I mean, everything about it was like perfect. Really nice. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, but, but like you know, it's not that I have an issue with this or anything. But it's just interesting to me how the judges can like rate, you know, a twenty second film versus a, like a thirteen minute film versus a forty yeah. hour film versus one that took you know a while. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's interesting to see, and I and I think they do judge them. Fairly, in the sense of like they're looking for a particular set of things or whatever. Right. Um, I haven't gotten my feedback yet from the judges, but I'm looking forward to that um, just to see what they have to say. Right. Yeah. For yeah. sure. But overall, it was a it was a cool experience. The casting crew came down, so of course we got a little got a little lit beforehand and, uh, <laughs> feeling pretty good, you know, as as as, as the films are going on and nice. Um, yeah, it it was. Yeah, I can't wait for next year, <laughs> dude. Which reminds me, don't let me forget. I have an idea oh, for a short, um, and I don't know how Jacob could fit into it, but potentially, is it like um, a uh, a little girl like costume? You know, like a little Red Riding Hood costume? Because we can make <laughs> it work. I could. We can make it. that work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could get inside. We could cut it and use clothing pins and kind of string them along. So I'll, I can. I'll, I'll fit. <laughs> it'd be hot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it'd uh, be probably hot. be very hot, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it'd be sweet to keep it, like, in a three to four minute range. Um, oh, yeah. I, I could just tell you the guys, the guys the idea that I thought about. Uh, basically, I had this idea for, like, a, a witch story, um, but to the witch can only gain her powers once a month, and she can only gain it by consuming her own menstrual blood. Oh, that's awesome. Gross, yeah. dude. That's my type yeah, of right? shit right there. That's, that's what I'm saying. Dude, that's, like, I love that. That's what I'm saying. I knew I, you would, I knew you would love that idea. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's Byron's wet dream, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Title of the already, I've already came, damn it. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why that box is there. <laughs> uh, no, but I just I thought it'd be an interesting little, like, it would be totally gross. It would be totally horrific, yeah. but it would be could be super interesting for like a short little story. Oh, yeah, like, dude, yeah, that sounds right. cool. So, that sounds uh, really cool. So, yeah. That's our idea. No listeners steal it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have that copyright. Yeah. Copyright, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, yeah, but it just like hit me one day. I was like, damn, we could really dude, do yeah, something that's short. Awesome. I think short and sweet, you know, like you don't need to draw it out. Just, no, yeah. But that, yeah. God, fuck. yeah. yeah. Uh, that's cool. Uh Okay, let's uh, jump into these yeah, two movies here. So, I got some stuff, um, but Byron's got a bunch of stuff because Byron picked the two films for this episode. Uh, but our main topic this week are films based on novels and the idea of self-discovery in film, which is pretty aptly named because both of these were pretty much self-discovery. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so... We didn't really discuss how we're going to do this. I have a bunch of shit, like my normal spiel, but obviously yeah, cool. if you got some stuff, if you want to take over now, I can read. Oh, no, just go ahead, man. Okay. So I'll just read out kind of the usual spiel, and then you can kind of take cool. over. Uh, so our first film is Perfume, the story of a murderer, made in 2006, based off of the novel of the same name, written in 1985, um, and it was written by Patrick Suskind. Plot, basic plot summary. 
Jean-Baptiste Grenouille, uh, born with a superior olfactory scent, so basically he can smell really, really, really well, creates the world's finest perfume. His work, however, takes a dark turn as he searches for the ultimate scent. <laughs> it was directed by Tom... <laughs> uh, it was directed by Tom Tickwer, and the screenplay was adapted by him, Andrew Firkin, and Bern... Uh, I don't know how to say it. Eichinger? Bern Eichinger, yeah. yeah. Okay, pause. Eichinger? Pause. Okay. How do you say, is it Tom Tykwer or Tickwer? I guess I it could always, be Tykwer. I always thought it was Tykwer. Yeah, Tom Tykwer sounds, sounds better. It could be Tykwer. I mean, I have no idea. I don't I know. Just, let's just say Tykwer. Yeah. Tykwer. Okay. Yeah. That's why the Seuss kind one is kind of nice because actually the U has an umlaut, so you yeah. know how to like say it, right? <laughs> right. Um, uh, the film stars Ben Wishaw, Alan Rickman, Rachel Herdwood, and Dustin Hoffman, among other people. The author, Suskind, originally thought that uh, only two directors could do his work justice, Milos Forman and Stanley Kubrick. Which is interesting because they both had done – well, Stanley Kubrick did Barry Lyndon, and it was the first film to be shot – only using candlelight, candlelight, right? And Milo's foreman saw that and was like, "Holy fuck! Like, I want to do this." So he did the same thing with Amadeus quite a few years later. Oh, okay. so it's kind of interesting that they both huh. they both had a look that he was looking for, and I'm guessing it was probably that lit by candlelight or you know look. Maybe. Totally, because um, Barry Lyndon was at. After The Shining? Yeah, uh, it was before. Before? Yeah. So it was in the 70s? Yeah, it was like, I want to say 75 oh, or 76 or something like Cause that. Because I was going to say, I was going to think that, like, the idea of Eyes Wide Shut kind of fits this movie, too. It but does, that was yeah. way after, yeah, so, right. like, I can't imagine. Right. But, yeah, probably Barry Lyndon was probably the, the yeah. one that really caught him. Um, pretty. It's a pretty uh, interesting thing for an author to come out and and say, you know? Yeah, yeah, like when yeah. when they say like these are the only two, you know. Totally, it makes it you was, wonder why, and um, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it's interesting too because the the script, there a, a script or the rights to the book have been floating around for a while, and like Ridley Scott's company had it for a while, and Mars the rights Scorsese, to the book or the rights to the film, the rights to the film, I guess. Because I yeah. I was reading that he was very particular and didn't want to give up his rights. That's yeah, what so, I read too. Yeah. So, but it was, I don't know even, it was the rights to something, right? But, like, Scott's company had it for a bit. And then, like, Martin Scorsese and a few other people were interested in the project. I don't think they ever had, like, the the ability to make it. But it was something that they had all been interested in. Oh, okay. right, doing. right. Like, if they could get their hands on it, they would jump on it. You right. Because what I read is that he refused to sell the rights for a lot of years just because... The author was like, only these two people can do it. Yeah. Um, but I guess, uh, so Bernd Eichinger, 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 whatever, Eichinger, <laughs> uh, he was a friend of Suskind, the author, and so he eventually got him to sell the rights uh, for a rumored 10 million pounds. Um, now, oh, apparently, there's there's two different things. You're saying that maybe the rights were kind of bouncing around. Otherwise, they weren't. I don't know. Um, either way, they found their way to Eichinger, who was a producer but also a co-writer. Um, and then the, the rumored number is just a rumored number, right? Yeah. We don't really know for sure. Um, uh, the film has quite a bit of controversy surrounding it because it was found that it was used as a means for investors to evade paying taxes and write off contributions, <laughs> which is a kind of a trip. Pretty amazing. Um, yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, let's see. Oh, the casting of Dustin Hoffman was almost immediate because he and the director had known each other prior to filming and wanted to work together. They finally found a way for him to be in it, which is still weird to me. I think he was a weirdly casted character, to be honest, because like, they're supposed to be in, like, France, and it's, like, very English people, like, and then an American guy. Like, the graduate, you know, is the guy who's playing the freaking perfume master. Right. Um, I'm sniffing here. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, that was pretty good. <laughs> if only um, John Voight was in the movie, too. <laughs> uh, the scenes with Hoffman were shot, were the first scenes shot, and he was shot out in 11 days, uh, 11 to 15 days, somewhere in there. Uh, and they shot that sequence in order, actually, just to kind of get the more uh, natural yeah. feel of their of their relationship growing. Yeah. Um, I thought that was interesting because that's uncommon. Which really it uncommon. does feel pretty good in the in the movie. Yeah, it feels like they kind of get to know each yeah. other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seemed like they made that choice in order to uh, make it a little bit easier on the actors. You know, to yeah, totally. Give them, I mean, not that they couldn't act out a sequence. You know, because they do that all the time in theater and movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. But, uh, yeah, seems like it's a little bit less work to do it that way. So, yeah, yeah. Um. The thing, this is what really impressed me, too. So a total of 5,200 extras were used for the film with upwards of 1,000 at once. Yeah. And I yeah. Really, about, really noticed that. How about that sequence? <laughs> how about that? Dude, uh, yeah, the, 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 I didn't know that was coming either. I didn't read anything about this movie before. Uh, you, That's awesome. You, you didn't know you. everybody was coming. That's what yeah, I didn't know that everyone was going to be uh, <laughs> yeah. coming. Um, but you could tell right off the bat, you know, in those opening scenes, and it's like they're all in the square filling yeah. it, and they're on the alley shots where mm-hmm. you can see them. Like, and then obviously the orgy that happens, like, um, yeah, those are all real people. Like, they didn't have to digitally. There was a VFX in here, but I couldn't really tell where. I'm guessing mostly I could tell architecture. You okay, go ahead. I could tell you. Uh, the architecture? Uh, architecture, yeah. Um, was but- there an angel? <laughs> uh, wow, I don't need to bring it up. Awesome. Um, yes, there was. He was an angel, I think. The, you know. Oh, he the was an angel. He they did an call him an angel. angel. Yeah. Um, any, anyways, the uh, yes for some background shots, VFX touch-ups, but they also uh, used some uh, the digital intermediate. Going back to that uh, stuff for the lavender fields because oh, they yeah, went out right. and shot that stuff like two months prior so like like to, to the lavender blooming so they're like oh shit we're here early what do we do so they use the, the that digital color grading in order to kind of uh, thicken the purples out and kind of spread them out a little bit so right. that's why if you go and look at that scene the lavender looks fake as shit if you know that like when you look at it you're like oh this is this is not real lavender but it's that's, so like in the background that you don't even notice that's funny because like I, I didn't know that and I never knew yeah, I just figured that they found a cool fucking field in Barcelona, and we're like, shit, we got to. This is like, this is where we're going to do it, you know? They did, but they just got there early, yeah. right? But like, um, they got there impressive. too early, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's impressive because like, it's all, this movie was made like what six years after Oh Brother Where Art Thou, and you could tell that it's even it's it's better, it's done better. Yeah, like you yeah, know, just the the job is, and it definitely holds up because I didn't know that. Yeah, and but obviously, like the, the other, oh, just one more thing, the other the other spot where they do digital intermediate is for the color of the women when they're dead they they kind of they they go through and do the um uh their skin tones and make them a little bit bluer a little more white uh just to kind of give them that 
kind of dead feel. So a, a lot of the dead women weren't actually like like uh, makeup on set to like look that color. They were right. digi- done digitally later. Oh, wow. Right. It's done really well, man. And then obviously yeah. the shot where there where he smells the dude's perfume for the first time, and it's that circular shot, and it. Uh, the oh, the yeah. flowery world is appearing around him. Obviously, that was yeah. like green right. screen the, stuff. The but girl comes up and kisses him. Yeah, yeah. you know, like that. Yeah. That obviously was all yeah. was effects, that. But was that like a? I couldn't decide whether that. Like, I wasn't sure if rotoscoping was a thing at that point, or whether it was actually just a green screen that they lit really well on him in the thing, and then spun around. But they spun around him, so if it is a green screen, it had to have been a like a. 360 green screen. Well, you, you know? could tell the his, the the way you could tell he looked. Was, yeah, because yeah, the lighting was not the same. It's like funny. when he went into the world. Yeah, exactly. The first like ten times I watched this movie <laughs> was on a DVD, and I never picked up on it that that particular scene was like. I mean, I just kind of figured that it probably was or something, but it looked so good, and I remember like rewinding it and figuring, trying to figure out like fuck like this is really well done like exactly how they did it but then when i got on hd i could tell more that it was more digital immediately yeah like because you can see like like the like the background is all like it's like a comp and you can tell that like things are not like parallaxing in the like the right way so like some things are like some things in the background are moving uh, slower than things in the foreground or vice versa, you know? Right. And it's like, this isn't quite correct, you know? It's Which I wonder like, if that's, like, the point of... I wonder if they did that intentionally. They, like, inverted that to so it still didn't feel, like, real, you know? I don't really know. It's crazy, though, because I still feel that it feels... It looks better than stuff that's still being done today. Yeah, uh, yeah. there's like, definitely some stuff that it looks better than, for sure, yeah. I was yeah. Just like, but then again, I think part of it, too, is because the rest of the movie seems so grounded, like the fact that they have, you know, 5,200 fucking extras oh, yeah. in the yeah. scenes that that your brain kind of automatically maybe forgives it or yeah. like, because everything else seems so fucking like tangible, like it's yeah. like, in front of the camera that that it seems stylized, but yet you kind of subconsciously don't really it doesn't take you out. Because it yeah. never took me out before. I mean, this last time I watched it, because I was really, like, hyper-aware of kind of every little thing, um, I did notice it more than I did. And it was only this third or second time that I've seen it in HD. And it had been a little while. It been about a year since I had seen it again. But it, I mean, that's that's kind of the thing with magical realism, you know, which is what this, yeah. like, the genre of this movie, you know. It's like, uh, like Birdman. Yeah, or yeah. Terry Gilliam films, you know. Um, there needs all, to be... Go, what is, oh, I was going to say, there needs to be more magical realism films, I think. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, we need we need some more people on that, because that shit's awesome. But, like, when you're, when you're doing magical realism, you have to, like, find your ground in reality in order to, like, sell the magical realism aspect. Because it has to... It's realism, too, you know? Right, right. You know, so you need that, like, real stuff, and... I wonder if, like, the reason we buy into or forgive, like, that green screen is because everything else is grounded in, like, such a reality that uh, that we're, we're, we either, like, take it as, like, oh, this is fake or, like, this was intentionally done this way because everything else is so well done. Um, I don't really know. Yeah. I don't really know. Yeah. It's weird. 
So cool. <laughs> For sure. Um, and speaking of the digital intermediate and color, so color, use of color in the film was very important to show the growth of Grenouille's, I think it's, it's Grenouille, I think is how they say it, yeah, Grenouille. Um, and learning about new smells. So, like, uh, the filmmakers consciously built a palette of colors as the film progresses. Yeah. Uh, because how do you represent smells on film, right? Um, right. Well, visuals, and, yeah. Well, <laughs> it right. has to. It has to be visuals. That's the only right. way. You can't exactly. You can't you know show smell. You know you right. got to you got to do it with visual or with sound, and they use both. Uh, yeah, those pretty, beginning pretty cuts well. when the baby gets born, like is yes, are, the yeah. sound is just spot on. It, it, that's something I was going to bring up. I mean, just the fact that this movie is titled Perfume, and the fact that it's about something that film cannot do which is use the sense of smell for it um so like it but yet through like the art direction the makeup and the editing mm. and the, the the shots of like everything yeah. makes it they did such a good job at translating it to the screen i mean i i, I still can't really like imagine exactly how you could look at something on the page and then kind of come up with okay I'm going to do this I'm going to do that I'm going to do this to really kind of make it like it seems right. like it'd be so like trial and error but mm -hmm. it seemed it didn't look like it was trial and error I mean no. maybe it was but it looked so like everything about the movie to me seemed like it was like he wanted it he executed it it was totally done you yeah. know like everything yeah. was well thought out I mean like the I beginning yeah like the the like when he first smells the first redhead mm -hmm. and she's walking and he's just kind of smelling her at one point and it, it, the the time of the movie kind of stands still and the camera like zooms in like super close to her, her like breasts and it kind of like holds yeah. on there just a touch longer than maybe I think w would necessarily be what everybody else would do and then it you know touches it goes up back up to her like ear and her hair like all these parts of her neck area it's just so close that you can see like her pores and her freckles and it just gives you enough to like really get the sense that she's more they're emanating from her than just what we see yeah, it's just super like it's like pheromones or or yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just super interesting. I mean, it's not, and it's not like it's necessarily beautiful to look at, but it's not ugly or bad to look at. Like it's it's intriguing, um, and I think I think it. I've also heard there's a couple of people that I've obviously recommended this film to, and they were uncomfortable with some of it because they they felt almost like intrusive and and and, and odor and body odor and something is something that's very you know very personal personal yeah, yeah. Um, and I think this film has enough voyeuristic elements and enough like kind of I mean and the character himself but we can talk about that later he's an <laughs> interesting character so all that kind of combined the, the, the fact that the cameraman and everybody was able to kind of capture that smell stuff is just I don't yeah. know it's crazy yeah well, there's also cool. a lot of I mean there's a lot of him going like <laughs> yeah like, Right, you know, like you really get that connection because you're yeah. always hearing him sniff too. Right, <laughs> it's kind of like you know, in like those like noir films where like you have a guy he like looks to the right and then you see what he's looking at. You know, they kind of yeah, they, they use a, that yeah. here, where except with his nose, you know, like yeah. oh he's gonna smell this, and then you get those macro shots of what he's smelling. You know, almost like he's smelling this very very specific thing. You know, yeah, exactly. It's like a that that 
what you're talking about is the eye line match. It's the yeah. it's that cut that we expect when someone moves their eyes to something to to see what they're and then it cuts back. You know, like yeah. And your brain says, okay, they look at that. We yeah. get it. Like right, that's where that would, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they would do the smell, and then they would like Byron said, they would show the details. You know, because he's obviously getting a sensuality about it. Yeah. He's he's there. He's building his psychopathy essentially by by connecting the first the weird. Uh, overt senses he has like the smell the the strong smell but also right. connecting that to like sexuality yeah. and stuff like that which is how serial killers end up doing you know they they realize that they can't release sexually normally and eventually at some point some violence or or killing comes in and that connects the two in their brain and then they get off yeah. like physically and then that's how they just go from there because it's the only way they can actually get off is is that that's why they serial killers are serial killers so then in this sense he's like realizing he can only really get off with the smells it's so like he can't do anything else besides the smell so like you know you can see that connection start to form and just, like, right. his obsession with it i mean it's funny too because the obsession like, yeah it the movie isn't really about that but it it knows it it's like a, it's it's like it's a smart movie like it doesn't seem like like they tried too hard to get that across or like it like the film isn't about that it doesn't it's not about like that like it, it wasn't about like being a serial killer is right what you're saying i mean yeah. and, and you could say it's a serial killer movie i mean i think it could be in that genre but it, it, it steers more towards that magical realism like you were talking about but it it has enough of the elements of like hannibal and everything else that but it, it's so smart it doesn't need to like let the audience aware of that well, you it's like, I mean, yeah, because the, the audience knows like they right, they right. get that this is like he's literally killing people. And like from the entire town's perspective, this guy is a serial murderer. Right. You know? But we still relate to him and connect with him because we we feel bad that he has this extreme sense of smell and can't fit in with people, you know, which yeah. is something that everyone can relate to. Yeah. You know? And he has no sense of scent himself like he doesn't. You know, yeah, he doesn't admit ascent himself, yeah. right? And, yeah, and that that scene, you know, when he's just kind of alone in the the, the stone den or whatever, like yeah, cave, like is interesting. It is kind of heartbreaking because he he he's so surrounded by this kind of semi curse that he has that he's been smelling all this shit, and then he's finally alone, and he then realizes that he himself doesn't even admit anything beautiful to the world or bad to the world in the sense of smell, right? And it's kind of like it's kind of like this weird like epiphany that he has yeah. that is un that's kind of uncommon in like novels and or movies totally you know what i mean like yeah i mean because like in his eyes he doesn't exist which is you know which is something the narrator says in, in yeah. the movie like really they're just like he doesn't exist yeah. uh and like that would be the equivalent of like if we look in the ref our for our reflection in a mirror and don't see anything right you know? But, you know, so, like, how that would just be heartbreaking, you know, yeah, <laughs> just yeah, like yeah. wouldn't want to exist that, anymore. That's another criteria of serial killers, too, is like their sense of identity is like really not there. <laughs> There's no acceptance. Um, the movie even goes so far as to say the mother was a cause of the issue, which is a huge yeah, like for a lot of true. serial killers. Yeah. Uh, it starts with the mother. It starts with the parents um, and the child and the upbringing, you know. 
um, and that whole intercutting between the cutting of the fish and all the other stuff happening in the market with yeah. the baby and the baby crying and everything um, and the baby essentially just being shot out of her vagina onto yeah. the ground like yeah. that's and just left there yeah yeah, yeah. It's interesting, too, because the, the the novel was released in 1985, and that was actually kind of before, I mean, even, like, the Green River Killer and a lot of these infamous um, serial killers were out and and more of, like, the, the psychology of serial killers. But he was kind of right on on a lot of kind of, like, what we now know. Um, yeah. Because I don't think exactly... I mean, I think that we were still learning a lot about all this stuff. I mean, in the what? In the 80s, 80s there, was a, there was a pretty solid base for it yeah. at that point. Like... You know, the terms had all come about, the psychologies. There was a, a certain criteria of psychology for sure okay. uh, by that point. Um, and then, yeah, it just got more and more yeah. refined from there. But Incredible. I mean, it's yeah. pretty cool. Um, and I just want to say one thing about the color just to finish off, too. Uh, the color grading portion of it took three months, wow. which is so long. Yeah. Like, so long for color grading. Uh, you know, if yeah. you think about a editing... For nowadays, especially with VFX heavy stuff, can take like nine months to a year, or even longer. Right. Yeah. right. Three months of that for color grading is yeah. like that's in two thousand six. Pretty. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty interesting because like I, I wonder if like they don't have like the LUTs, they don't have the presets, like you know, because nowadays it's like throw your LUT on there and go to Good town. To go. You know, make yeah, your right. micro adjustments. Maybe you hire some hotshot French colorist, you know, to come in and like, <laughs> you know, do like some unique shit that you've never seen before. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's what they were doing when, you know, d- yeah. digital color grading became a thing. You know, totally. it's like, hey, we're starting from scratch. We all, yeah. we have all this information on color timing and this history of doing color timing. But it's a different game now. You like how do totally. we mimic some of these things? What can we do that's different than what we could do before? So it's almost like a big R and D project, you know? Yeah, totally. definitely. Yeah. yeah, and the fact that at the time it was also the most expensive film ever made in Germany that that they had the budget to allow them to do something so right. kind of right. new and impressive. I mean, it's like. I mean, like I tell people about this movie all the time. Like it's one because it's one of my favorite films, and they don't know it. They're not familiar they, with it they at don't, all. Well, because it it did so oh, yeah, poorly in the United States. But it's you like, know fuck, it's not a like you know? it, it only made like <laughs> seven million bucks here, but o- overseas it made like a hundred. Yeah, it made a bunch of money. Yeah, um, I, I definitely hadn't heard of it. Like I just don't think it was marketed here. No, really. yeah, no. I mean, it's, but it's it wasn't marketed here at all. But it's kind of sad, you know, because it's like it's it's some serious art, and it seriously could have been a huge movie if I think if it was marketed yeah. in the United States. Like I think it could have been huge because it's great. Yeah, yeah, and it's just funny because I mean, like, just on a technical level, it's it's you know people kind of bash a lot of foreign films and stuff, and they're like, oh, it's not as good as a Hollywood movie. This stands up against this, yeah. any Hollywood movie when it comes to ter- in terms of like art direction, production design, makeup, acting, um, sound, sound, editing, yeah. cinematography, directing. I mean, everything. If it's, you showed this movie to the average moviegoer, they would totally think it was made out of Hollywood. Yeah, oh, like, they totally yeah, would. Yeah. Like they yeah. wouldn't know. Yeah, but yeah. if you but if you say, oh, it's like this German product produced film you know but it's in english right like they'll probably give it a shot but they might be like eh, right but you then know. you just all you say is dustin hoffman's in it and then they're like oh uh, okay yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm in. Professor Snape is or in Snape. it. Or Snape. That's yeah. the thing, yeah. Rick yeah. yeah. <laughs> R.I.P., man. I forgot he was in this movie. I was like, oh, yeah. It was a, it was a pleasant surprise. It was well, cool because he has a little bit of like a scene, and then we don't see him for a while, and then he comes back. It's just kind and of he, cool. yeah, and he get, he gets some moments. He gets some yeah, really gets nice some moments. moments. Yeah. What one thing that's really interesting about the casting of this movie is a lot of it was just like the director or the casting director or the two of them were were basically like, "Hey, we just want this person," you know, like Alan Rickman, done. You know, yeah, Dustin, Dustin Hoffman, Hoffman, done. done. Uh, for Ben Wishaw, they were like, we want to cast somebody who no one knows who's really good, right? Yeah, so they went yeah. through the traditional process, but they knew that exactly. They're like, we can't have like a cel- uh, celebrity in this role at all. Right. And it's it's like, how do you just know that? Like right yeah. off the bat, you know? Yeah. And how, is, how has Ben Wishaw not in more movies? Like getting better parts than what he gets. You well, know he's I mean? a, he was in. Uh, well, yeah, he's in the other Tom Tickwer. Oh, I looked it up by the way. It's Tickwer, not Tykwer. Oh, it, it is. It is Tickwer. Okay. Yeah, like sit. The the, okay. it, the I is like sit. Yeah. So Tickwer. That's tick good to know. Yeah. It's a Y. <laughs> oh, it is a Y, isn't it? Tickwer. Yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah, that's why we were thinking Tykwer. Yeah. The, yeah. The I in sit is how you say the. Y. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Well, he was in like. He he was in the uh, Cloud Atlas and he was super right. good in that and he's in like the new James Bond I think yeah he as, plays as Q he, he's yeah, like he the new Q. Q but I mean they're small parts like why isn't he in more like more integral more meatier roles in other movies I mean he he's an actor know. that's proven his chops I think in all those films that you just mentioned you oh hundred percent and he's he's like, one of my favorites he was in the Lobster right now yeah he is in the Lobster he's oh, wow. he also plays Bob Dylan one of the reincarnations of Bob Dylan in the I'm not there, or I'm whatever that. Uh, I'm still here. And it's not. I'm. Is it? I'm still here. The uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Thing? No, not that one. It's uh, it's similar title though. It's, oh, I think it's, yeah, I'm, just, not, I'm not there. there. Okay, I yeah. see it now. Yeah. Um, hmm. I really like uh, Ben Whitshaw. Yeah, yeah. He's he's like, especially after his performance in Perfume, I, I was like, this guy is freaking yeah. awesome. Like, I can't. I don't. I just want to see more movies with him. And you, I think he's just slowly, like, petering his way into Hollywood. Yeah. You I know? Mean, like, it, it's funny because he, he's a, an actor that you you can disguise, you know? He can play mm-hmm. different types of characters. Like, a, he's know? a character actor. Yeah. yeah. For sure. That's probably the problem. Character actor. If you're a character actor, that's it. Those are some of my favorite actors. Yeah, you can't, though, you you know? can't really... Uh, it's, it's hard to lead as a character actor yeah. unless it's a totally. really specific movie, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Sweet. Sure. Yeah. I'm letting you lead, Byron. Well, I, you take we it. can dive into nocturnal animals, and then um, and then we can just kind of discuss okay. kind of like them together. Yeah. You know, in terms of like narrative. Is, is the is the ultimate um, topic here book adaptations? I mean, and self discovery. Yeah, and uh, self discovery. So like coming of age. Yeah, uh, almost coming of age book adaptation sort of thing. And, and well, also, uh, Nocturnal Animals isn't coming of age. Though. It's it's not it's it sort of is, but it's not like young coming of. It's not like a teenage coming of age, right. but it is like a it's a maturing so, sort of, of a sorts. a maturing yeah, like a yeah. person who needs to like who missed that coming of age moment, you know, yeah. and is getting it later. <laughs> Um, if you really broaden the genre coming of age, you right. can look at it that way. But you know, it isn't kids, so I guess it's kind of. And I, I'm also a like kind of 
as like for novels, I mean, because obviously I haven't read these two novels, so it's kind of hard to like talk about that. But like, who reads books though? I mean, (laughs) books are dumb. But I'm kind of like interested in like how the narrative is, um, uh, how how you can tell like how a novel is structured versus how these both of these films are structured, and then kind of how that relation is. Right. Totally. Especially Nocturnal Animals, where there's a story within the story. Yeah, she's reading a novel. Yeah, it's super meta, yeah, for sure. Uh, Sure. Okay, so the second film is Nocturnal Animals, made in 2016, based on the novel Tony and Susan, written by Austin Wright in 1993. Uh, Basic plot summary, a wealthy art gallery owner receives a draft of her ex-husband's new novel, and once she starts reading, she just cannot put it down. (laughs) What a terrible... I always thought that was just a really terrible summary, but (laughs) I guess I couldn't come up with anything better. Um, Yeah, it's pretty funny, because it's just like the the higher story of it and it, that's literally like the least interesting yeah. part of the movie <laughs> exactly. is like the higher well I mean yeah. how they tie together is fascinating but like just having one without the other like, yeah, it it's feels a, like a shitty movie it's a yeah. little bit more into it yeah totally. that. that's uh, funny um, the film stars Amy Adams Jake Gyllenhaal Michael Shannon and Aaron Taylor Thomas um, or Taylor Johnson uh, among many other people uh, it was written and directed by Tom Ford film was shot by Seamus McGarvey who also did the Avengers which we covered early on in the podcast uh, the film utilizes a story within a story technique as a means to connect two characters and have flashbacks caused by reading the story uh, and then you know revelations and yada yada stuff like that the initial 20 million dollar budget was won by focus features after a heavy bidding war this makes it the highest amount paid for a film at a festival ever at the, at the Cannes Film Festival at the Cannes right? Film Festival yeah, yeah. Um, the film was shot in L.A., which used to be a spot for Hollywood filmmaking, uh, but due to costs, slowly became less and less of a place for actual filmmaking and has more recently been seeing kind of a type of renaissance uh, with filmmakers returning to it. So, you know, you, I don't know, 2010 and before, you probably wouldn't, this film probably wouldn't have been made in L.A., uh, basically just because it got too expensive. <laughs> so L.A. now changed things to try and give more tax breaks and stuff to filmmakers to bring the production back to L.A. itself. Which is funny because, I mean, Tom Ford, I mean, he's an internationally recognized, you know, fashion designer. And right. He's got a lot of money himself, and his first film did really well. You'd think that, you know, he could probably have filmed anywhere he wanted. Totally. Yeah. You know? <laughs> totally. Um, and they, the easy option, you know. Yeah, and yeah. they really kept it in LA too, because the because the budget was fairly tight. You know, like uh, you, the actors definitely in this movie definitely cost a lot of money. Yeah, um, they shot on location in LA, so like the house that she lives in is like someone's house, real right. house, right? Um, and uh, they shot in the Mojave trying to mimic the West Texas look, so they had to hide certain plants and shoot around stuff. But, you know, they definitely shot in and around yeah. Southern California. Yeah, they did a good job with that. Totally. Because it feels like Texas or yeah, totally. know, Mexico or something, you know. Because yeah. the, the story in the story takes place in, in the Texas area, yeah. and her she lives in L.A. or whatever, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, which I feel like the, the their ability to kind of use the, the, like, mask it as Texas was, was pretty easy because of the locations that like like a long stretch of highway a vast 
desert wasteland. That's all in California, you know, yeah, and it right. all pretty much looks like that in Texas too, and Arizona, <laughs> which I, I, I drove through I ten, you know, like I know what that shit looks like, and it all yeah. kind of, if depending on where you shoot, it all kind of looks the same. Like if yeah. there's no iconic things that you shoot so it's it was mainly like the foliage and stuff that doesn't exist in texas but exists in the mojave right like yeah exactly and like if you are if you really know the region i bet you could kind of point it out but most people you know like they shoot movies in fucking you know atlanta and it's and it's denver you know (laughs) you know and they're like hey this is denver and no one knows it well how many things get shot in vancouver and it's called new york or la or seattle whatever you know yeah well, in that whole se- that one whole sequence that takes place outside is all at night, so it yeah, kind of disguises totally. it too a little bit for totally. sure. Uh, yeah, hundred oh, percent. Yeah, and that uh, I was really impressed by how long that sequence went on too. Like yeah. that's a really long chunk of the movie with that whole freaking yeah. car thing. Yeah. Like very thrilling, very a very oh, like, was, yeah. slow build, very intense. I think my jaw like hurt afterwards. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I found my gum on the floor. Like I just like I just didn't know. Like it was crazy. Definitely, definitely. All right, Byron. So, um, I'm guessing. So, what what I find about that interesting about nocturnal animals oh, is how he's able to kind of blur the Tom Ford is able to blur the lines between what is happening within the world of Amy Adams reading this script versus what is actually happening in the script. And what's interesting to me is that, you know, he's, she's envisioning Jake Gyllenhaal, her ex-boyfriend as the main character in the novel. Is that what it is? Is that, is she envisioning it? I mean, I feel like you can apply it like, yeah, you could assume that maybe he wrote it, so he put himself in there. Yeah, I mean, I think. Well, I mean, I think it is. I mean, I think. I think he that character is him. Yeah, like I think. Um, right, but you, you could look she, at it both ways here. Yeah, because she yeah. she could she could because she could have just pictured some other random dude. Yeah, you know. But I think she is connecting the dots. You know, and right. I think she because when you when you first read the the novel, nothing has really happened yet. So. Why would she choose his image, you know, right. from the very yeah. beginning? Um, right. But so yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a combination of that. Which again, I mean, that's kind of part of part of it that that, that Tom Ford chose to do that is really kind of cool, and how it's kind of in between, like how there's the I don't know just how it's edited where you see flashbacks of. Amy Adams and Jake Gyllenhaal together kind of first meeting she's right. kind of remembering that and then like it'll cut and it'll be on Jake's character but it's in the novel this time and like how yeah like it'll like like they have the like she's like sending an email to like Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. And like he and he's like answering the email, but then it's like back in the fiction, like yeah. it's in the book universe, you know. And how like the initial first couple seconds, you don't necessarily know where you're at, right? Which is right. kind of cool, but it's also different than what like a novel could do, because mm-hmm. the novels, you know, obviously you read the next chapter or whatever, and you know kind of where you're at. So that's something that film can't do, or that can't film can do, but novels can't. Which I thought was right. kind of a cool, interesting way and adaptation. Of, um, you know, 
uh, like how to how to adapt that idea sort of yeah thing. yeah and, and the same thing with like perfume where smell like with with audio or with film he could just insert a cut of a nose and a a flower and we would obviously understand and see kind of what he's smelling but in a novel you'd have to like really kind of describe kind of describe it it's not as it's more it's i probably would say boring than something in film (laughs) so it's kind of interesting that they could like tie that both of those could tie it together but yeah i was wondering like what you guys thought like of how if like he could have done uh, Tom Ford could have done something better or if he could have if he should have blurred the the story within the story um more or if it could have been, if it should have been more separate like more like blocked like Tarantino is t- Tarantino esque like chapters right like what would have been maybe like I, I, instead of kind of because it kind of was like living in this cross-cutting slash scene world like it was like right. a weird in between versus picking one or the other because i like it but i'm not entirely sure uh exactly why maybe it doesn't work in all in all films aspects or in all films but in in, in particular this film like how does it there are parts of it that maybe don't quite work sure well um, I, I i could i could i could there's one scene where um I think it I think it works really well and that is the scene where she's first reading the book and I I believe it's after um in 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 the in the in the book part it's after like the kids get taken and and he reports um it to you know Michael Shannon and meets Michael Shannon and Michael Shannon is basically like hey this might take a year you know, so find ways to be productive, and he shaves his beard and goes running, and then it has these shots of him like just lying around in a bed, you know, and then yeah. it also has shots of Amy Adams in the real world right. lying al- around in a bed, and they're just kind of like married together in an interesting way, and and um, what that was telling me, like doing it that way, like in my brain, I was thinking. Amy Adams is empathetic towards his situation and she is thinking about how not only how the character is feeling but maybe how her ex-husband is feeling as he was writing this you know right. like this kind of this the, the the dread of waiting like a whole year for you know your um to hear anything you know yeah. and you could even look at it as um as Amy Adams pretend this this is not how I saw it, but you could look at it this way, like pretentiously trying to like feel the character, you know, like, oh, okay, he has to wait a year. I'm going to put the book down and do it this way because she is like an artist, you know, even though she kind of is sad. I don't really like to look at it that way, but I guess you wouldn't be wrong to look at it that way. I don't know. I just I saw the empathy right there and you couldn't get that without that kind of cross cutty right like right. like relating the two together um at all so i thought that was neat yeah i know for sure that, that's like that's actually a good example of kind of what i was thinking of like how it's how they blur um really well however like i had some maybe some issues kind of towards the end um where like the whole 
like the scene where Aaron Taylor, Aaron Taylor Johnson is like hiding in the shack and um, when he's taking a shit or when he's sleeping. Uh, when he's sleeping. When he's sleeping. Yeah. Yeah, and you know he comes in and so it. And I, I think maybe it's pacing. Maybe not so much this editing, really. I guess now that I'm thinking about it, but. Um, but and then it cuts to kind of just like Amy Adams just like looking at the page looking kind of devastated and it, it doesn't it seems a little too simple and or not as uh, like it's not as powerful it's, it's not, not as, as powerful like as, meaningful like it yeah like it's not saying anything besides I'm surprised by this confrontation you know? yeah which isn't so, really an interesting thing to say at all so, which made me think, you know, like, would it have been better if the whole film had been one way or the other? You know, like, it should have should have all the scenes been kind of more blurry, to, blurred together, or should have it all been more like, you know, chopped up? <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's a interesting question, and I don't know if I can answer it without rewatching because I, yeah. I know on that scene where he's in the bed. I, I cannot remember exactly what she's responding to when she is giving those looks. Because I know in that scene, he's saying, you're weak, you're weak, to Jake Gyllenhaal, which is something that she said to him. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm not, I can't, my, I cannot remember if she's responding to that. And if she is, then that's awesome. Because that's yeah. basically like, oh my gosh, like, he's putting me in this person's shoes as like this and like murderer rapist you know and like that would be shocking you yeah. know and that would be an that's an interesting thing to say because uh, it relates back to the character and isn't just shock for the sake of shock you know right oh man yeah. so i'd have to i'd have to watch it again <laughs> but uh yeah i feel like this is one of those ones where a, a couple of viewings would make it make more sense i think Oh, I yeah, I I thought it made sense the first time I watched. It. Well, it did, I'm not in the sense that it makes like I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. Like you can follow what's going on, yeah. but but to connect all the ideas together like requires multiple viewings yeah. just because of how much cross cutting there actually is. Oh yeah, uh, and, and, and there's like surprises. You know, it's it's kind of like when you first watch The Matrix and you see that scene with Trinity and she's like going into the phone booth and you're like, why the fuck would she? do that there's a truck chasing after this makes no sense this movie is dumb i'm quitting this movie uh, and then you watch it all the way through and you're like oh okay yeah, yeah no okay all right you know yeah. like had your doubts you know but totally. uh yeah I mean, it, it does that it has that surprise in there yeah totally and when you know what to expect you can look for different things you know because because you know what to expect um i didn't like i thought the editing at the beginning was weird um, especially like what I distinctly remember was like her pulling up to the to the her gate in front of her house uh, and it did this weird yeah. cut into her car where she like got blinded by her own light or something and like yeah. cut it back out and it was just it's was by nothing. The, like, the driveway like door so like that oh. sliding door which kind of looks like an art piece but her like oh. headlights are reflecting off of that and hitting her in the face like her own art is like like Hitting the way, yeah. sort of thing. His blind. Oh, okay. I'm gonna. Ha- I don't, I'm gonna have to take. I'm gonna have to rewatch that part. The That's editing funny. just at the beginning was kind of stilted. It just didn't have that natural flow that, that editing, you know, should have or whatever. I 100 um, percent agree with you there. 100 percent because it's the shots of the 
city yeah, yeah. are just like uh, randomly in there. I was gonna yeah. say this, the city I, shots seemed really so random. random. They were beautiful, but yeah, they were gorgeous. But they they seemed kind of out of place with the movies. Like they needed more of them. Or something. and supposedly Ford right. did a lot of the editing. And he's not credited as the editor, but supposedly he did most of right. the editing. Yeah. And maybe it was he did the initial drafts of editing, and someone right. came through and cleaned it up. But yeah, that was definitely like. You know, I I get I got the feeling, and I have never I haven't seen his first movie, and I know this is a second. It's really movie. good. The first first movie is really good. I just get the feeling that he's sort of amateur in that sense, still though, where it's like, oh, I'm gonna throw these shots in here, and I don't know if if I don't know how I think they connect, but maybe someone will find out how yeah. they connect and they'll work. You know, right. like he didn't really know why he was putting him there. The city stuff was just totally weird because he don't even come back to the city stuff at all. Like. The city, right. the LA didn't even fucking matter at all. Um, my my gut says that the scene was cut pretty traditionally at the beginning. So like, she drives home. There's some shitty uh, city shots. She gets to her driveway. She gets blinded by the light. My gut says that was cut really traditionally, and he was like, "This isn't um, like different enough." You yeah, because he, he it seems like a lot of his. This movie is like it's very, it's blending art house and studio. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like very much both. And I think he was like, I don't want to kick this movie off with, I, I don't want to kick this movie off with this gorgeous, like very provocative images of fat women dancing. You know, and then go to traditional cutting and be like, right. "Oh, hey, we're in the we're in the fold of it." <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. I, I wonder if he was like, "I we have to like keep it in this world in order for the rest of the movie to work." Right. You know, not saying that th- where the movie ended up was the best, but I wonder if he would have thought of shooting it differently had he known that before uh, editing. Maybe, yeah. I, I think. When you explain it like that, I definitely could see it making more sense as a afterthought, like a like oh, how do we change this? How do we fix this? Like yeah, like how do we yeah, how do we make it more art house? Here? I mean, that's probably where his whole like fashion thing comes in. Where maybe he looks at a dress and is like, how can we cut this dress to make it not a to make it a dress but not traditional? Like you know that right. whole style. yeah, like how do we change this and make it art? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I I, I could see that, but either way, it, it was a kind of an amateur way of doing it where you know yeah. the, the the cuts the cross cuts there just weren't connecting um but the editing throughout the rest of the film i actually thought was really great yeah uh and i mean you can understand what's going on like it's not hard to follow right. no yeah uh, what surprised me the most was how much time we actually spend in the novel right um yeah. and gyllenhaal's whole struggle and like yeah especially the first Scene because you That's what I'm saying. I yeah. almost forget that. Like, I think the reason why it feels long is because it's actually long, but also because you kind of forget about the outer movie. Like, <laughs> totally. it almost like takes like you're like you're way more interested in the inner scene than you are the outer scene at that point. Well, I would right. say that the whole book in the movie was way more interesting than her. Like, as a character, I don't think I really care, like cared. Like right. the whole ending where he stands her up. Like, I don't really care. You guys stood up like whatever you know like um that so much um i'm not saying it's not good but it's just i just the character i just don't really care about um no that makes sense well well, because like what is what is she losing like she doesn't have really any stakes here like yeah and then they try to be like oh her she's 
married to a man that she turns out she's not really in love with. Turns out right. he's cheating on her, and then you find out that actually he's she's cheating on him too. And like, you're just kind of like, whatever, man. You're just kind of a rich bitch. Well, like, that's, a, well, that's <laughs> the thing. It's like she comes off as a fucking like rich bitch. Like she. She has become something that I don't think she initially maybe was at the very beginning. Yeah, she, she became, 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 she became her, her mother. Mom. She became her she mom. She became her yeah. mom, which to me, I was like, you, like, oh my God. This, like, that's why, I, <laughs> one of the reasons why I like this movie, because this chick is like, she, it's, it's like, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but like, I, I would just relate, like, I like to relate in the fact that, the, like, the guy in the best way, like, without like you know killing or doing something like that it's like a fantastic revenge movie in the sense that oh yeah oh she yeah she is stuck like she has to live with herself like yeah that's <laughs> like, true that's a good which point is right great because like she knows and, and then but then you can tell at the end when she's getting kind of semi-self-conscious that she's just sitting there alone that 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 stupid snooty rich bitch mentality is kind of creeping back into her like oh you know like I'm by myself. Oh, she's, he stood me up. Like, you get that sense of, like, that that she is, she's internalized it, but yet now she's going to try and externally come off as, like, like, hmm. You know? I don't know yeah. how you describe it, but, like. It, yeah. No, 100%. She, she plays it well, but it. But I was going to bring that up too. Like, I, like I kind of wish that maybe I liked her character more in the beginning and the middle, so that at the end it was more like devastating, not to me, but just to her. I wanted it. I wanted the revenge to be even more devastating to her. I want. I wanted to see her react right. more to it. Like, I, I wanted to see her upset that she was alone in the right. fucking like stood up. Like, I wanted to see her fucking melt down. Like, in oh, the fucking that's thing. so. That's interesting. Like, I, yeah. I, I wanted more of that. Like, I, I I wanted, like, maybe, like, someone that looked semi like Jake Gyllenhaal come up as, like, the waiter, and she just kind of, like, breaks down or something, you know? Like, yeah, like, she loses it or something. Yeah, I wanted her yeah. to fucking lose it all. Like, I was like, you, the, like, just like Isla Fisher's character, she fucking died, which, you know, it's, like, super unfortunate. It's, like, sucks. Like, you feel that pain. Like, I wanted her to feel pain, too. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe that's what it is. There just wasn't enough Did, enough of that. I, I don't think there was. Like that was yeah, that's yeah. my biggest gripe in the whole movie. I mean, I, I like I really love the movie, but I wanted that revenge to be sweeter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, that makes sense. And the um, what one thing that I think is to to add on to that is is um, the scene where she's in the art meeting and she's talking to the you know like her. Her, her board basically and they're and she's talking about how they're talking about how they want to replace this one person because she's like not as good and they want something new and fresh and you know it's kind of like that hey like we're old and you know we want something good and new and you know um, yeah but in that so this is like she's like midway through the novel maybe even towards the end and she's like actually I think what we have we should stick to what we have she kind of like has this little moment of like that s- small change of like I think like because that was when she's she's kind of getting a, you know a little bit more thi- like thinking a lot more of Jake Gyllenhaal's character um, where she kind of has this like she like deviates from her like mom type ways uh, yeah in that moment and I thought that was interesting uh, because 
it's kind of like she's like reverting back to her Jake Gyllenhaal like when she was with Jake Gyllenhaal she's like zone yeah yeah yeah. she's like kind of going back to that and like the book kind of brought that back out like hey this is how it used to be and I used to think I wasn't happy but I was way happier then than I than I am now like I'm fucking sad as shit now you know see and I, I really like that because as I mean I'm, I'm guessing you guys will be like that too like as like an artist I think it I, you do bring yourself to your work so I yeah. thought it was cool that Jake Gyllenhaal's character has done that and his emotions and, and, and has transcended the page and she's feeling like empathetic towards and, and I yeah. like and ironically she's the fucking reason why yeah. this pain has let him make this this story um yeah. Yeah. and yet and she begins to feel it I, I I thought that was cool I like that um that narrative kind of arc but I felt again that I think it I think it would have been stronger if it had ended on you know, it starts with him feeling pain, and and we see that, and then I wanted to see her uh, in pain because I felt this film focuses on his pain when I think it really should have ended on her pain because she's the one that that did him wrong, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I guess I I would I would argue uh, that her pain is is just her life. You know, and the fact that she thought that, okay, like my husband is cheating on me. I hate where I'm at right now, but my ex-husband who I love and who I'd rather be with is reaching out to me for dinner. It was the (laughs) ultimate like, like, hey, like, no, you made your choice. Like, you're going to just going to have to be sad and die that way, just like your mom. And I feel like I feel like that is like way more powerful than her breaking down and crying. Because like if she breaks down and cries, then like suddenly she like loses that weakness. And her mom like her mom is the type of person who would like never cry at a dinner party or anywhere you know she's like this strong drunk like older mom you know like if you ever watch bojack horseman it's like bojack's mom or 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 archer you know like the the main if you ever watch archer like the she's like this powerful woman who like drinks it's kind of a it's kind of a stereotype i guess like the, the rich drinking mom who like you know had to like sacrifice things and lived an unhappy life in the name of their children and you know maybe their husbands work well that's a lot thing. and cheat on them and they just deal with it because they're they're rich and that's just the life well, she, that yeah she, she fucking martyrs herself yes you know what i mean and, yeah. and, I, and I to be honest i hate that like i like i just people like that it's, just bother it's, me it's the worst and yeah. i but i think that's like why it's so sad at the end is because she's this is her finally diving into that like she had, I, she saw the light of like oh i could go back to the way things were and then it was like no to me, it's not sad enough like i want her to i want i want her to relish in the fact that she's just like her mom the person that she hates the most like yeah i want i wanted to see her relish i wanted her to break down because she now knows that she's just like her mom or, yeah, you know or, or maybe more. even uh, like a moment of like she does something that's like her mom like like she like right. she, you know like maybe she's a 
an asshole to the waiter or she's <laughs> she does yeah. something that like shows that like okay she's like in it but i feel like they kind of did that without like they, they they did that by showing that she kind of doesn't really react to anything you, you, you know, know something that like i find always kind of kind of sad or would be like when when i see someone like talking to themselves like at a restaurant like an older man like at a restaurant oh, yeah. at, at like a nice restaurant and he kind of mumbles something to himself it's kind of sad yeah yeah i was it would have been nice if she had done something like that though you know what i mean like where she mumbles something that maybe her mom said or something and it and, and it shows it quickly cuts to like a couple or a, a couple a few people looking at her as she's talking then we could see then we would be able to kind of see her as this kind of more pathetic person who now has to wallow in the fact that she is like her mom maybe something like that right. would have been a little bit stronger yeah just like something to kind of yeah nail the hand like kind of let the audience know a little bit more you know yeah I, but however i was happy with the, how it ended be, and how it was done because i could tell it was it was unlike any other ending that I'd seen in a movie before, especially one with oh, like yeah. a, a story within a story. Because normally, like yeah. the movie ends on like inside the book, kind of. You know Which, what I mean? Movies that like do that, like I'm like, well, what about like if the Princess Bride did that? Like if it ended just in the book, then it's like, well, then why why even have this greater story in the right, Princess right. Bride? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't I don't I just don't get movies that forget about the outer world unless there's they, a really good reason for it yeah or they quickly brush it off at the very end like the mom comes in to the room and says okay kids time for dinner and then they all look at each other and all smiling and then it ends on them like all eating happily or something oh, you know yeah. what i mean like yeah something corny so this one was kind of cool how they kind of kind of came back to it but yeah because it kind of it it really brought it full circle because you know you're really not interested in the amy adams outer story I mean, maybe you are, but I feel like most people would be interested in the high stakes Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. thing with Michael Shannon in there. And Michael Shannon's a fascinating character. Dude, in I was going to say, we haven't talked about him yet, but dude. he is my favorite character in this yeah. movie. He's yeah, like, oh, yeah. He's dude, fucking he's, he doesn't get enough. Yeah. I think he's a successful actor, but man, he doesn't get enough credit. Like, yeah, he is just, he stole the show. Dude, yeah, he's totally. like the fucking best. And the opening shot of him fucking smoking the cigarette <laughs> yeah. outside yeah. by his car, like, Ah, so it goes like the the typical fucking Texas lawman shot. He's just like, like, is that the guy? Yeah. Let's go. Let's get him. Like, I'm gonna go fuck him. Even like how how the scenes are written, like, um, like how he's like so fast and loose with the rules. Like he's bringing Jake Gyllenhaal to all these places with him. He's he's kind of like I feel like that's like a no no in the police world. But he doesn't really care, and he's just gonna do it his way because he's dying. You know, and, and that too, Which and is that cool. too he's, is his cancer. Because yeah. he's, you know, at one point he mentions he's like he's seen enough injustice, and now that he's dying, it's like, you know, now it's going to be more on my terms. If there's justice that needs to get done, I'm going to do it. And right. it's kind of like it's kind of like this old school Texas Texas law. Yeah, you know? yeah. Which like is, like I'm the sheriff in town. Sort yeah, of thing. he epitomizes yeah. this more like legendary. Uh, status. He's not some typical right. um, uh, city lawman. Yeah, you know uh-huh. he's he 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 is a, a genre stereotype. Yeah, but he is still interesting. Um, be, you know, because it's Michael fucking Shannon who is who yeah. is able to take something that's that's kind of maybe broad or semi boring on the page and and makes it a character and 
And yeah. You, and even though you know you know he's dying, you actually kind of feel bad that he's dying, and you want to know yeah. more about his history and that he because he I think it, he mentions too that he's got like a family, right? But they, uh, he has like he has a kid. Yeah, and the, yeah. you could tell that he doesn't really see. Yeah, yeah. you want to kind of know more about it, and you yeah. feel bad for him because you could tell that he has this compassion for Jake Gyllenhaal's character and his circumstance. So you're like, okay, he's probably relating to it on some level, and you just kind of you want to know more, and right. Um, but yet he is also a badass, which is Qu- cool, right? <laughs> yeah, he's super cool. Question for you guys: Does the Michael Shannon, this there might not be an answer to this, but does the Michael Shannon character in this movie work uh, without the greater Amy Adams story? Like, does it, does his character only work in a, in a book inside of a movie or could he just kind of live on his own? He could live on his own, I think. Why? Yeah, I mean, yeah, why? I think so. I think there's enough of a character there to... Yeah. Like if he was in like Hell or High Water instead of Jeff Bridges... Yeah, or, I actually think something it would, like that. I think it'd be even a more interesting. I think Hell or High Water would have been a more interesting movie if 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 Michael Shannon's character was kind of like Jeff Bridges' character. He he's got more like angst and pain in him behind yeah. him that drives me as a viewer to feel kind of like what ticks, what makes this guy tick, you know. Um, whereas Jeff Bridges in Hell or High Water, I mean, he was a cool he's, character. He's a, he's a lawman, like hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, yeah. He's he, you know you know where he stands on issues, whereas. You don't you, you the 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 mystery isn't always isn't always a, a super apparent. I don't know how to explain that, but that, that kind of makes sense because because Michael Shannon's character, I I had the I didn't trust him for like half the movie. Like Dude, I wasn't okay, sure if he you. was also in. Yeah, right, I thought that initially. Right, I was right, like, oh, yeah. he's going to be in on it. Like, Yeah, see, that was cool too. Because yeah. it was a little like, this guy's just a little bit too fast and loose. You know what I mean? Like he's a yeah. little bit too loose with the law and usually policemen are not like that. And I think maybe that's what's, that's what gave you that thought. And ultimately, like it was kind of like a red herring kind of thought, you know, well, it's like... And, and also the fact that he lets like Jake Gyllenhaal like drive kinda, the car, yeah, kind of like yeah, it just very. It doesn't seem to have super like. He has kind of a disregard for Jake Gyllenhaal's like safety, <laughs> you know, like yeah, he's he's uh, he's he, he's like bringing him like with him for like in the interrogation room when he's interrogating. You know, and like instead of like in that scene where he's like pointing out like which person it was, instead of being on the opposite side of the glass, which the glass is clearly behind Jake Gyllenhaal, he's right in front of it, you know. But that glass is still there and he could easily be on the other side. They also brought a lineup into an interrogation room. Yeah. Like, yeah. What? Yeah. That's not how that works at all. But yeah. 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 It is funny too. This is a little different side note, but Keith, did you notice that there's two characters in the movie that are in the Neon Demon? Uh, yeah, the dude who he shoots is the is the guy, the, 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 the guy. photographer guy, yeah. uh, the guy who takes him in the truck, takes Chick- yeah, Chick- the guy Yon who takes his own car, car. Yeah. yeah, that's and then. Um, She has a very small role in this movie. Is she it's in the for... real life thing? Is she in yeah. the real life? Is she the, the kid in real life? No. No. Oh. 
it's, not, it's not the chick that she's talking to. Is it someone oh. in the art boardroom? That she's close. in the boardroom. Well, I think she might be in the boardroom. I saw her assistant. Or outside the board, like, the revenge. It's, 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 yeah, it's her painting. assistant. Yeah, Jenna Malone's yeah. character. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jenna Malone's character. She drops her phone. I saw, I remember that because I was like, oh, that's Jenna Malone. And I was yeah. like, but she was in it for like a second. Yeah, very small. Part. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's why I forgot cool. about her. But that scene was interesting too. Um, in the way the art is set up uh, uh, in, the, in the film. And how it's definitely mirrors like Amy Adams is like uh, state, but also like <laughs> that weird sequence where she looks down at like the baby monitor, and there's like that jump scare. Yeah, that was interesting. I thought that was a very interesting choice. Wait, it what? was super surprising. So like there is this when she drops the phone. Remember she sees she drops her assistant's phone. She like oh because like she in the baby sees. Monitor. Yeah, yeah, because she sees. Uh, yeah, okay, that's she right. She sees Aaron something. Taylor Johnson's character. Like, yeah, I thought that was an interesting scene, and I liked it, but I felt it was a little out of place because, like, this movie kind of. I feel like, like Blue Velvet comes to mind in the sense that it's like this kind yes. of noir yeah. Americana noir, yeah. yet there's a little bit more going on in this kind of creepy underground, but. Lynch is so good at that and I feel that Ford tried to tap into it especially with the opening sequence I felt like this movie could have maybe if it had tapped into that more it would have been it would have it would have I think proven its point it would have been more creepy it would have been more unnerving um because he could have played with like the editing and uh and made it just you know what I mean? Like, there's enough there yeah. that I think he could have made it more Lynchian. Um, and I think it could have become maybe more popular than it, than it did. I think. I mean, I think it did well, and the critics really liked it. But I think, I, I, you know, I don't know. There's something about that Americana, like, noir feel that I wanted a little bit maybe more. Of a, a little bit more of, yeah. yeah. Especially with that with that jump scare, you know, it, it seemed like something that could have been in like Inland Empire or Wild at Heart. You know, it seemed like a Lynch thing, but yes, at that point in the film, it seemed a little too much. Like there needed to be more of it, not necessarily jump scares, but more of that sort of thing throughout right. the film. Like it only gave it that only really happened just that one time, right? Know? Right, and it was it was sort of saying like she's thinking about. The, like the the movie's like in her head, you know. Yeah. But it'd be nice to like see like more of that. Or I'm sorry, the book is in her head. Yeah. 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 You just don't get enough of her in general to like. I mean, the movie is so much about the book in the right. movie that it's anything they do in terms of her story or what they show in her story is is just. They, it's just a one-time thing. Like, yeah. like I'm saying, like they don't bring the mother back. Like I think they could have brought her back at least one more time, and then that would have solidified. You know, I mean, we obviously we're sitting here talking about the mother a bunch, and like we're connecting those ideas of the mother to the end of the movie. But I think it could have been more solidified with like one more little sort of flashback. It's you know at whatever hour freaking. 145 or something yeah, you know something right to, to kind of bring it together that that's what i, I kind of like that this movie doesn't hold your hand as much because like 
when I watched it, in, I watched this movie in theaters when it came out, and people and there was like hardly anybody there because it was like 1 p.m. on like a Thursday or something (laughs) (laughs) and uh, people were like like I remember this older couple like they were both really confused at the end you know and then I watched it the other night with Tiffany and Tiffany was uh, just like she was like I don't know what to think like at the end of the movie that's how I felt too yeah but I was I was like with it like I was like 100% like I am right here, like, because it's, like, about this feeling of being stagnant and depressed with your life and uh, just kind of thinking everything is just off in one weekend, which I've felt, you know, and it's just, like, this just kind of sadness, like, this, like, deep, deep sadness that this person has. And, like, you know, I like to dive into melancholy you know, shit every so often, you know, like sometimes yeah. I'll just stay home, do nothing and like play games of some kind, you know? Yeah. But, um, there's like a cathartic feeling I get out of that. And this movie kind of gave that to me. Like it was very cathartic and like how it talked about how sad she was. And I think not really holding the audience's hand was kind of part of that. Like, it, cause it's like, if you've ever felt this way, this is a movie for you, but I think if you kind of own it too much, then it kind of takes away from that feeling a little bit. Yeah, definitely. It's funny. I saw uh, the film on a lim- when it was on limited release in Bellevue with my brother Nick, and um, the the whole theater was completely packed, and it was wow. maybe like a seven o'clock showing at night or something like that, and. Like that whole sequence, you know, in the car, the you know, that whole highway yeah. sequence. Yeah, I like there were audible gasps and like, oh, you know, that's like, awesome! It was so cool. Uh, it was a pretty cool movie experience because I, I, it it just was one of those type of movies that you just don't picture a whole bunch of people seeing. But luckily, because it was Bellevue, you know, there's just so many people there that the theater was packed. You know, um, right? It was, and it I was feel like pretty cool. Bellevue is like this is like a Bellevue kind of movie. Like, I feel like people, uh, the people of Bellevue would enjoy this movie, you know, cause they, they are like the, the high end, like they're the, like the high end Seattle, you know, they're like the clean right. Seattle, you and know, like all of, the streets are nice. You know, yeah. there's a lot of rich people over in Bellevue and, um, they all kind of like that high art kind of stuff. Right. It's fucking yeah. Tom Ford. They probably all showed up wearing Tom Ford. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But um, with ginormous earrings on, I think, <laughs> giant yeah. pearls. Can we just talk about the pearls? Where those pearls are too big. I pearls know. are too big, but it fit perfectly for the character. Oh, it, it was perfect. It was yeah. almost like a cartoon. Like it was yeah. like these are huge Very pearls. God, <laughs> oh, I, that's always when I watched it the first time. I didn't even notice. I was just like, wow, she's rich. But this time, I was just, all I was looking at was how large the pearls was, yeah. and I was like thinking, like if a penny was next to that. Would the pearl be bigger? Would the penny be bigger? <laughs> like, I totally wasn't even paying attention. Because, well, I, yeah. I mean, I was, but, you know, big pearls, man. Big pearls. Before we do the review stuff, uh, just go back to perfume real quick. Um, John oh, yeah. John Hurt's narration was, I thought, awesome. Like, yeah, did, did not hurt the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. oh, man. <laughs> oh, Jesus. 
Uh, that's good. <laughs> um, but like you know narration in movies um, I know that Martin Scorsese has said that in film school when he was doing film school um, you know him and Oliver Stone and, and all these people were told you know that narration in movies is, is very lazy and that it's bad storytelling but yet you know Martin Scorsese actually utilizes it very well in a lot of his movies um, yeah, I, I have strong opinions about that phrase that you that you just said. <laughs> so yeah, like, and I I feel I feel that I actually really like narration in movies, especially when it's done really well. And I think Perfume is a good example where um, it's even narrated by someone who isn't even a character in the movie. It's just yeah. like a, a god narrator, which is even yeah. more rare to, to see um, in movies. Um, but I think it works so well. And I think when it comes to like adapting the script we also i think the movie would not have been we wouldn't have followed his his character as well um if there wasn't a sort of narrator uh, narrator yeah yeah because we get okay. to, we get to see a little or hear a little bit more about his do you really think we wouldn't yeah, have been able to follow it that well we though, without the narrator it. i think we would have been able to follow it, it but i think that the fact that he kind of makes things a little bit more apparent, like the fact that everybody that he meets that were his, like, masters died. Yeah. Be, be, like, I don't know if everybody would have... I don't think I even would have necessarily caught on to that. Right, but it's, like, it's it's needed for the movie, and it's fascinating to listen to, you know? Yeah, so, so like, his voice is, like... You don't need to have every shot be pretty, but it'd be better if it was pretty, you know? You don't need, like, a good VO person, but it'd be better if it was John Hurts, you know? Like, that shit was awesome. Yeah, like, I think, I mean, as to, to, to story-wise, like, the arc of it, I don't think it was needed. But I think by having it, I think, like, the orgy sequence was kind of cool because in it, because he's talking about how all these people, like... I don't know. I think it kind you, of you. You hundred. You hundred percent need it. You need it because it's. We need someone to guide us through before he's born, after he dies, and in between the the jumps of his life. Like we need someone to to guide us from like scene to scene. We can't just like have him be birthed in that way, like and set up the sense of smell in the way that hurts does like you need the narration and it's good narration you know yeah most people their problem with narration is that it's used as a crutch you know like okay we weren't able to tell the audience what this scene was with just like the basic conversation let's get some narration in there yeah oh you know what let's load narration in this whole thing so it doesn't feel like we're using as a crutch and that's why people hate narration narration isn't bad if narration is good, then it's good. It's yeah. not that all narration is bad. And I hate hearing when people are like, all narration sucks or all narration. Like, it just, I'm just like, you don't know anything about how stories work and you suck. And that's why you're, <laughs> and that's why you're saying this. Cause you have no fucking idea. I had no idea you were so like passionate oh, about this man. topic. It's, this like, it's great. I'm passionate because people are so passionately against it. And I feel this like I need great. to go up against <laughs> this thing uh, and this like it makes it makes yeah. no sense why people would just say narration is bad and it, i think i'm passionate because i i've heard it so many times in western screenwriting classes you know like oh you can't do narration like narration it's really easy 
you know, like, oh, this this is this is easy using as, as a crutch, you know, it's and, and they really have no idea what the narration is doing. I'm not saying that this is like I wrote, which I have wrote narration, but even like other people who had gorgeous narration, like beautiful words, poetic, like it was really nice to even listen to just on a read through. And yeah. people are like using this as a crutch. I'm like, no, this is the movie. Like the movie is the narrate. Like we need this in here. I, I, it's this funny great. because I don't know if I've ever heard you feel so passionate about something in the podcast as till this. <laughs> <laughs> this is where he finds it. <laughs> well, I, I think I'm, I'm glad I brought it. Like, up. like, like, like what I said. I think that I'm passionate because there's so many people who are passionately right. against it who are wrong. Right. So it's like I need to. I need. Uh, to, I'm a mirror. I'm a mirror. You know. I, I mean, I, I, I mirror people. I mean, I really do think that this film is a good example of of how good narration can be. I think Taxi Driver is another example on how, and Goodfellas is on how how important narration can be to a film. Um, how how it doesn't make it's not detrimental to the story or how we view the film. In fact, it kind of enriches right. it in some in some areas. I mean, I right. Think, I think it kind of gives it that fable kind of feel to it too. Yeah, you know, I mean, I like this like, legend. Sort I think of that's thing. basically the main reason they want they use narration was because it's a genre trope, right? To create that fantasy, especially in this movie. Like, for yeah, sure. uh, that's amazing to hear you say that because. I hate narration and fuck using narration and narration actually is a crutch. So I completely 100% disagree with everything you've just said. Well, and I you really know, don't you know like how I feel about you then. Uh, that's cool. <laughs> you can shove it. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, no, man. Realistic, oh, that to, to be Finally, we found, we found something we are passionately. <laughs> yeah, good. I really don't I like, like narration. Um, I like. Wow. And I think like Nocturnal. You didn't like the narration in Perfume. You didn't think it was nice to listen to or or I'm not saying the guy the doesn't have a nice voice. I'm just saying I don't like narration. And I think Nocturnal well, like, Animals I'm, is I'm, a pretty I'm, good. I'm referring to specifically Perfume. You didn't like that at all? No, I didn't. I don't like narration. <laughs> I'm saying his voice is fine. And yeah. if it was in a documentary about the Earth, then sure, <laughs> that works. But Wait, I so don't... you don't like Planet Earth? No, I'm saying that works. Because that's I'm saying Planet, Planet Earth, Earth is... works. Well, that's narration. Would narration work? Okay, that you works. like you like narration in documentaries only. Because that makes sense. Because you're telling me, okay, the penguins live for this long, and their predators are there. Like you're being informational about something that you don't get that you could get if they filmed it. But like, it works in the sense of a documentary with a film like a narration, especially for film. I just like. I think we could have gotten all that with with what they just showed. And then it, without narr- using narration, they would have just been forced to show it. Like, I just don't... <sighs> narration just defeats the purpose of a movie. So what about, like, Taxi Driver, yeah, though? A, mo- a movie is video and audio. <laughs> I get that. It's not just one. But I get like, that. So what about, like, Taxi Driver? I haven't seen Taxi Driver in a really long time, so, like, like I can't driver... even really remember the narration, but I'm guessing I'm not going to... Like, I just generally don't like narration. His narration, is, it's not a lot, but it's it's um, it's um like his diary. Um, and so we're seeing him being lonely, but we're also hearing him talk about these thoughts that he's having in his head like 
you know, like these the scum of the earth, these fucking people, these wretches. Right. I mean, right. we see these kind of gnarly. That's more up of people. a poetic narration yeah, it than it, it is, is like it is. It's more. What I get bothered by is the like storybook narration that they had, like the genre trope of fantasy, where like you know you got to pull out the storybook, you know, and and read. So the you tone. do like narration. Generally, no. <laughs> but you just said you like the poetic. Well, I mean, no, no. But Generally, like, I don't like narration, even in the sense of like a poetic. I can be more forgiving in yeah, the sense of okay. like, okay, now we're in, in the sense of taxi driver. It's like you're you're dealing with the psychosis. There's so a like bit more behind it. So yeah. like this having narration, or like it's not even narration. It's literally just like voiceover. I think yeah, there's a, like, there's a distinct you difference. Could cut at any point in that movie and see him reading those. Yeah, whereas this is like right. perfume is like right. this happened and then this happened. I and it's like that. we're watching that happen. No fucking tell me it's happening. I can see it happening. I yeah. can see that there's a baby and then you're going to see the baby as a kid and then you're going to see the kid as him and you're yeah. going to be like, "Oh, wow, that's him." Like I, mean, I, I saw that. Cool. I, I get that. I, like, I think we're on the same page and I think uh cuz what I like is good narration or good voiceover, you know? And I think maybe where we differ is that I like the perfume uh, voiceover, and you don't. Yeah. But I, mean, I, think I think we're on the same page as far as like, like as long as it's good and works, then it's fine. But there there are plenty of films, and I think you you'd agree with me, where the narration totally sucks and takes you out of the movie. I haven't seen Blade Runner, or it's but I, like, I it's imagine like, or right. that one Blade Runner. Right. But I imagine that is literally just totally destroys the movie because I find, of it. I mean, because I find most of the time the narrations are just basically spoon-feeding the audience what the filmmaker That's what maybe, I'm saying. maybe thinks isn't okay. well... Yeah, exactly. it's used, no, no, it's no, used like, as a crutch. Exactly. We already and talked the, about this. No, <laughs> but what's the difference between that? That stuff's bad. What's the difference between the narrator in this movie and having a scene of just exposition? It's the same thing, but for some reason but we're you more need, forgiving you need with narration. Scenes, you need scenes of exposition in your movie. You can't you can't make a movie without exposition. Exposition isn't bad. It's just bad when there's a scene that is literally only exposition. But even if you do something like that, it could still That's be a good scene. That's the type of scene. I'm, well, yeah, you can do things in your story that explain what's happening in the story. Yeah, like Blade Runner kicks forward. off with, with text that is literally just exposition to like give the audience a sense of like where we're at to so kick it off. Would it? So this film could have easily have done this. Because it kind of has that novel um, narrative structure as it is, would it have been better if instead of having the narration, it would cut to, like, title cards? With, no. Like, like no, some I don't of that would work. I think, okay, in the sense of a beginning of, literally the beginning of the movie, and then they give you a bunch of lines, that is setting up the movie, like, to give you history for it. Whereas, like, the part with perfume, like, especially the part that really bothered me was, like, he finally laid down and he felt super good about all the hard work he did and that was the last night alive or whatever that last or the whatever the narrator says and then yeah. the house falls down it's like we if the house just fell down we would know that the fucker died like what was this tongue in cheek right. narration that we needed on top of it it's just it's it it's felt like they needed to fluff it up with yeah. narration I because mean, they I, didn't know how to fill in the gaps themselves with visuals. I understand that. At the same time, it goes like what you said with the magical realism fantasy element of it, where it's like this storybook fantasy. You know what I mean? Like, it, it goes, it kind of ties in with that. 
Because I feel like if they really wanted to do it, I mean, the film is so visual as it is, they could have done anything. I think they would have been able to... I, I don't think it's a weakness in the part of, like, they couldn't figure something out. I, I, I honestly think that they have probably thought that they were going to have the narration the whole time. You know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah, there's, like, huge I, chunks of that. Uh, I think it was a it was a choice that they made. They said, yeah. "We're going to choose to use a narrator here because it gives it kind of that legend feel. It gives it yeah. that feel that we're kind of going for. Um, so we're going to instead of kicking off with text or some other type of exposition, we're going to kick it off with the narrator. So he's going to he's going to open it up and close it, and we're going to sprinkle them in throughout just because it's like I th- nice. I think part of this too." Is that I don't, I'm not a big fan of the whimsical fantasy. Like, I get that this movie has its brutality and its dark side, but it is the overall tone and art direction is whimsical fantasy, right? Like, or, or I, I would like, call it, I would call it magical. I think it's like straight okay, magical, magical realism, realism, but it's, it's yeah. in the same vein as whimsical fantasy where they're doing the same tropes, they're just using yeah. a more adult. And brutal story. I wouldn't call it whimsical, but okay, I, think, I'm, I, I can't think, think, think of the right the, word. But you know yeah. what I'm talking about that that type of fantasy. Like I like fantasy, but I like I don't know, like like Birdman and Brazil. And, oh, I hate Birdman. Birdman's dumb. Um, <laughs> Bird, Birdman is magical realism. Like that Birdman is also was a stupid, well, terrible movie. Pan, Pan's Bird. Labyrinth is magical. Pan's realism. Labyrinth. Okay, I, that I like. I like I like Pan's Labyrinth. Like that type of fantasy, that dark. I like dark fantasy. Yeah. I like you know. I like Lord of the Rings and stuff too. But like, I just that 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 whims that. I think what, I, I can't think, think of a different term I than whimsy. But thinking about is the fact that this movie takes place in the early 1700s, where like the the the, the costumes and everything kind of it falls into that kind of like that typical fairy tale-ish kind of setting, right? Yeah, yeah like, like, a, like folk, like a folklore type. Like, right, Next right. Door could have been the story of Cinderella. Like, it's, it felt like that, right? Like, it like, felt like Disney extended universe. It felt like, like it was wrong. a Disney universe, but instead of <laughs> prettiness, it's... so it's... funny, because I didn't get that from me. But, but I, because... I, didn't, I didn't get that either. But that's also because I like historical fiction movies, so I've seen a lot of movies that take place in that kind of era. Uh, especially foreign films like right. um, Amiste or whatever with Viggo Mortensen and stuff. A lot of these films that take place in that, you know, the late 1600s or whatever. Um, so when I see costume dramas like that, I don't necessarily immediately think of them as like I don't as either. Disney. Like, yeah, my, my brain goes either, straight but... to Disney because so, like the first time I've ever seen a wig like that was like Cinderella, right? You, you know, but I've never but, seen. But, like, Pirates of the Caribbean, also Disney. Uh, but look at yeah. the even the narration too. of this movie, the way he talks is in that, that right. vein of That's whimsy true. fantasy. That's true. The, the narration, the way he does speak, yeah. it is more of, like, I mean, fuck. I mean, I think John Hurt has probably narrated a Disney movie. You know what I mean? And then oh, the like color, her. the saturated color, the, the look of, like, everyone, the feel, like, the fact that, you know, the beginning was was more graphic than anything else that happened, really, in the rest of the movie. Like, yeah, like know, the beginning the, and the end are like, yeah, and then obviously you, you get to the orgy and everything, which you know is different <laughs> than a typical whimsy movie, right? But 
It's just that that, that <laughs> then the vibe. <laughs> Most movies that... don't have a big orgy at the end. And then well, we haven't even Some talked about the either. very ending of the movie where he lets himself be eaten. Um, yeah, which that was great. Like I, and I'm not trying to say like right. oh I hated this movie. Right. I just am not a big fan of that style of fantasy. Right. I yeah. like different kind of fantasy. I yeah, like right. dark fantasy. I like I like The Witcher, and I like you know like. The Elder Scrolls and shit See, like that, like sort of so like straight, like, like straight fantasy. Yeah, like you yeah, like yeah, just yeah. that raw, like. So you don't. He doesn't definitely like mag- fantasy. I don't think he likes magical realism. Then I, I think like you magic. just don't like. But yeah, magic. But I don't think you like magical realism. realism. Right. I think because that's what you magical don't like. Magical realism is that tightrope where, or that, that that fine line between that maybe that what you call like the whimsical feel with. With the science fiction fantasy, give me element. like gritty magical realism, and then we'll. But this, can talk. I think, would be the best gritty magical realism you could get to because, because like, I mean, I've never seen a Disney movie besides Pirates of the Caribbean where the people look fucked up like that. Like everyone's right. dirty and oily and gross. Like, I mean, even Pan's Labyrinth, the people don't look like that, and it's a dark right. film. I mean, the only thing that really makes that movie darker is the fact that there's maybe some more blood. I mean, is magical you know I mean? realism the genre like, the, this itself? The genre yeah. is it is it that tight where like uh, only magical realism can be this style of movie? Like, no. just give me no, the no, non-whimsical no, no, no. magical no. realism; it will be cool. Magical realism is essential. Like in a nutshell, it's realism with like a tiny little magical kind of element to yeah. it that is yeah, necessary out- for the movie to to be, continue. So you could and argue Pirates that. of the Caribbean is magical realism. You could argue, yeah, obviously, yeah. Bir- like maybe Pirates isn't as much, but uh, but Birdman is a hundred percent magical realism. Um, magical realism is interesting because Narcos, because a lot of the magical, Netflix show, like a lot of magical realism um, has like elements of um, historical. Uh, right, s- time uh, not P- so period. much modern. It's yeah. period, yeah, and More that's period. because it needs to be so specific in order for the magical realism to work. Because yeah. it, otherwise, it's just fantasy. Like right. it needs to have something to ground it in as real in order for the magical realism uh, to like be a thing. Well, I took a magical realism class, um, and ironically, the emphasis was on narrative. Uh, <laughs> like uh, on voiceover narration? Uh, no, like like you know, well, I mean, we we talked. Well, it was in a literature class at, at Western, but um, what was interesting is I found that the the short stories that we we read and stuff, a lot of them were period, but then there were some that were um, present and they could only work in that you know you know what i mean like right. that particular story that took place in the present could not have been told any other way than in the present day and the particular story that takes place in the period it could zone like that time frame could only be told in that particular time frame and i thought that is interesting whereas i don't think this yeah. movie could be really any other time zone i mean like it could not be it could have been set today you know, oh um, no, it would have been no, just, not with been, cell phones. And, yeah, it was been too weird. Yeah, um, I mean, maybe it could have been before and a little bit after, but like no later than like early eighteen hundreds. You know, right? Like it has its place, and like it needs to be in that spot where like trade is a thing. You know, right, where like right. it, a prominent thing. You right. know, so you could have all these ingredients, and it needs to be um, early enough to kind of buy into. 
Because, you, you know, like, uh, there's theories out there that, like, there was, like, drugs and stuff in, like, some of the, like, sewage systems in, like, certain parts of, um, you know, in the greater Europe area that were, like, hallucinogens that right. were causing people to, like, see, like, gothic things or, or to, like, believe in ghosts. Like, they were actually, like, seeing stuff, which is why, like... This is just a theory, but, like, that's a reason why people maybe saw more fucked up shit or believed in more fucked up, you know, gothic style stuff, like, way back then. And this movie, like, is kind of playing with that a little bit. You know, like, this is, like, not real, almost a thing, which is relevant to to the time period, too. Yeah. I mean, magical realism... Like I think we, I think you got, you guys are pinning it as too tight as like what I'm thinking of magical. Like magical realism is simply having a real setting with magic elements. It doesn't have to be right. that sort of style of storybook. No, like I don't stuff. think it does. Because like, uh, Birdman does. Yeah, right. I, so, I Birdman isn't. Yeah, I'm so not saying that. I don't have a problem with magical realism right. as much as that style of like we got to tell it like a fuck like you know here kids yeah, like, right. like, yeah. like story like the storybook the of, wizard yeah. pulling out the tome to tell the ancient legend of King Arthur like right, right. I don't yeah. need that portion of it I want <laughs> yeah. just the, I, maybe it's storybook because like I think you like Harry thing. Potter one and two because those are like straight storybook i mean i've read those books and the movies though i can't really remember the movies three three and beyond are not storybook at all but one and two are very storybook yeah they're they definitely have different vibe ones i don't know like yeah i wouldn't say that i saw harry potter when i was way younger and haven't watched it again with more of a critical eye so i i don't know i can't really like say one way or another i mean i don't i grew up with a lot of fantasy ideas and stuff right. so like fantasy itself is not something I hate I just don't like this style of it and like I like the movie overall that the movie was good it's just like I just didn't just don't care for that and then yeah. the added narration is like most of the time I just don't like narration I yeah. just think fucking show it or grow right. some balls <laughs> like and show it because it, like, it feels like what you uh, what I think you're saying is it feels like a genre trope that they didn't need and that it was kind of a cheap way to get the audience to get get kind of the feel of the movie like the yeah. feel of the genre it just sucks that that's become a genre trope and to, yeah. to get your feel yeah. that you have to have that like okay. sure. I don't know it just I, it's, there's a lot yeah. of redundancy with narration right I, yeah I, I liked it but I could understand why you wouldn't, you wouldn't like it I'm just glad you disagree. You just you yeah, said. No, I'm, I'm glad, glad you had your whole spiel before I, uh, I got to say anything. I, I was, was I was about to drive up there to Bellingham again and bust uh, bust my narration up your ass. <laughs> you know, talk into your ass. That's, <laughs> that's not what I meant. <laughs> you can find me at State Street. I'll uh, State Street. I'll have that yeah. guy backing me up. <laughs> You'll have Aaron uh, Taylor Johnson there. <laughs> yeah. Let's um, well, I I wanted to bring up one more thing. If, yeah, if yeah. you guys think we have time um no no time sorry oh, all right <laughs> next week next week we'll talk uh the where these are book adaptations and i felt this with both movies um the the main characters being amy adams i guess jake gyllenhaal too uh and um gosh uh ben wishaw N- those three people 
are not talkers. Right. You know, they're very quiet. They're very, um, they're very, they're very like booky, you know, like they're like when you write a book, you're able to see into the thoughts of these people. They don't really talk very much. Like even in the, in the, in, uh, perfume the story of a murderer ben wishaw uh ben wishaw's character says even less than he does in the movie and he hardly even talks in the movie he almost like awkwardly doesn't talk in the movie but he talks even less in the book um and in the book you're spending more time with him in the cave when he discovers he doesn't have a scent you're spending more time with him that is kind of just the intro of the movie where he's working as like a slave, you know, where he gets sold and he's like working for the, um, the guys, you know, who are, he's like carrying those fish or whatever. Yeah, so I guess, yeah. I guess what, what I'm talking about here is adapting a book, um, with a character that is silent and how you even go about doing that. And, and I felt like both these movies did it differently, but in, in an, both in an interesting way, because you have, Ben Wishesaw's character kind of he talks a little bit more but he, he spends a lot more time with that eyeline match with his nose you know and and um yeah <laughs> so I was just curious if you guys had any thoughts on how these movies handled that um because they I mean because really we can look at it Ben Wishesaw's character in Perfume and then Jake Gyllenhaal also doesn't really say a lot and Amy Adams also doesn't really say a lot either. And, but they both kind of, they tell things to the audience without saying things in like a different kind of way. So those are just curious if you guys had any thoughts on, on that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's maybe one of the reasons why I pick these two films because I I like movies that generally the characters don't talk a lot. Um, and I think both these movies handled it well. I think, um, I think if there was any more dialogue with Amy Adams um, talking to anybody or talking about how she felt or something like that, I think I think it would it would definitely take away from the movie for me because um, I liked how she just didn't talk much. You know what I mean? Right. Like, um, and then same with Ben Weshaw's character, you know, in Perfume. Like, I feel I think I was able to understand him more just through his actions than him talking about anything. I mean, what 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 does he have to talk about? I mean, his what he smells is what's important to him, and that's all we really need to know. Right. You know what I mean? Like, his obsession. So, for me, I think it was smart on the director's standpoint, both of them, both Toms, uh, uh, <laughs> to, like, not... To, to basically just focus on the story and not have to focus on, like, the characters having to 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 converse with anybody any other character i mean he converses a little bit i mean the person he converses the most with would be dustin hoffman in perfume right um and we understand that because he's kind of learning a little bit you know um so that makes sense so i don't know i think i guess yeah i don't know if i really answered your question there but yeah yeah i don't i don't know if there is an answer um but I do know that, like, I'm not sure if this was in there already, but, like, that scene where, like, Ben Wishishaw is, like, in the... Where he, like, discovers he doesn't have a scent, you know? Right. Like, that's, like, right. a huge part of the book that just wasn't in the movie. And really, 
couldn't be in the movie because it's no like how like how could that be in the movie because like you just have him just sitting there in the cave and like maybe you cut to like a dream sequence of some kind or I don't really know I didn't I think it would have felt too put like too forced yeah yeah you know what I mean like yeah. I think it would have just been it would have it would have taken me out because you you're never really in his head. The only time you're really in his head is through his nose. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's like, fascinating. Yeah. Like, the only times you really kind of, where time kind of stops um, is like, the like I said earlier, when those when he's smelling something and, you, and it, like the camera is like all of a sudden there, like on someone's skin or the flowers or, or the maggots and stuff that we see. You know? Yeah. Um, right. Those quick or, you know, elongated, like either way, cuts of things that were that he that we know he's smelling those are the only times that we actually really get to see what what what's inside his head slash body <laughs> right yeah it's like it's like those scenes and like the scenes where he's like talking to dustin hoffman that's when we like learn like what his uh, goal is even because it's like in the den sequence the only reason why we really ever find out that he doesn't have a scent is through the narrator yeah, you know, and that's at that scene um, where we realize that, and it's just long enough where that's all we need. We didn't need any more. Yeah, in the movie, and I'm curious to read the book because I'd I, I'd like to see how Patrick Suskind, you know, handles that. Handles that. Um, yeah, yeah, well, that's cool. It kind of contra- I mean, obviously, like Nocturnal Animals doesn't have that narration behind it, so it's a little bit harder to like figure out like how like what the character is thinking or you know or just like how they're feeling because like we get that narration from um perfume but not from nocturnal but it it also like like going back to that cross-cutting thing it kind of like like this the scene where they're lying on the bed where jake gyllenhaal in the fiction is like waiting to hear back from michael shannon's character and she's like waiting with him they kind of you kind of get what she's thinking when that's going on, but it's still not like explicitly said. So I feel like you could look at it in different ways. Yeah, um, which I th- I think is kind of interesting for for nocturnal animals because it's like you don't necessarily know what she's thinking at first, and then you kind of get the sense that it's that she's thinking about how she you know aborted this guy's baby without telling him and um you know i don't i don't know it just seems like just seems interesting how the two like there is like a choice to be made include a narrator that that or include a way to really tell the audience like what the person is thinking or just kind of let the audience kind of figure it out uh on their own or bring their own experience to it Right. Yeah, I yeah. guess the whole thing about adventure, though, is that you're not trying to be ambiguous. You're trying to let the whole point of adventure is to go from point A to point B. There's no mystery. There's no there's no room for audience thought, right? So, like, I guess in that sense, I mean, Perfume is trying to be sort of, I think it may be sort of adventure-y, I guess. Yeah. You know, he's kind of traveling and yeah. discovering himself as a trying to find that perfect scent or whatever um whereas like nocturnal animals is not an adventure film it's just uh 
it's a thriller it's a yeah. pl- it's a shit happens and right. how we deal with the shit you know yeah. type of thing right. um i just I, I there was some things they slipped in like what you see her te- you see her sending an email so you get like literal words that say ah that was devastating like yeah, i think it's pretty clear how she's feeling a lot of the time though like she's reading that part of the 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 shit the the highway scene and then you know she has to it cuts to her slamming the book yeah, closed and then she stopped yeah. pulled her glasses off and you know like yeah like you you get it yeah. i mean we're not dumb we get it that's the whole thing <laughs> about acting right so right, like right i mean in that sense like it didn't really need narration and i think there's lots of ways they could have gotten around the narration and perfume i mean the dude would have sniffed himself and started sniffing himself all over that's true and then looked confused and then when did his whole shower and then sniffed himself and was still confused and then and you know like breaks cut down or breaks down yeah. and then cut to him smelling people and smelling himself like you know a back and forth of him smelling yeah. someone smelling himself you kind of start to understand okay like he's either smelling something or like he's kind of like not smelling something like yeah, yeah. you know like and, and it's interesting too because I mean perfume is like two hours and forty minutes long like I wonder how like how long it could have how it would have been without the narration you know if it would have been longer I don't know or not do do you think they shot this movie without the narration or do you think they no shot narration was in the script yeah I think the narration was probably in the script. that's it was what in I the script think too, for right? sure yeah yeah so, but that's I just not a big fan so but. You don't like the narration in Shawshank Redemption? The Morgan Freeman narration? I've never seen Shawshank Redemption, so... Huh? <laughs> uh, right? I'm not going to film bro you on this one, so... I probably just had a lot of people just be like, fuck that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Have you not seen Shawshank Redemption? Well, give, it's funny, give like, that a shot and then then tell me you don't like narration, because that is I, literally the like way to do narration right is in Shawshank. It's so funny because, like, Shawshank has that, like, you know, it's supposed to be one of the best films ever made or whatever. Like, popular, you know, everybody loves it. And it's funny because I had no idea about that when I saw it. I mean, it was one of those ones my mom picked up at Goodwill on VHS and I watched it, you know. And and it was a good movie, but it wasn't, like, it wasn't something that blew my mind. And then when I found out that everybody loved it, I was like, well, I can see why everybody likes it. But I'm like, it's definitely not on my list, you know. Right. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's not like... I mean, it's not close to me personally either, but right. it is, like, yeah. a really good example of, like, how narration is, like, good in a movie. Well, and Keith, it, the reason to see it, though, is Roger Deakins is the cinematographer, so... Well, yeah, so, there you go. No, I mean, Nerd. I've seen parodies of it and shit like that, so... Um, anyway... Close she, enough. She, <laughs> no need to watch the movie. Yeah, I mean, I get the, I get the sense that... The, I know there is narration and, and stuff like that. I mean, it's obviously one of those movies that you're kind of required to watch yeah. almost kind of like Schindler's List and right. everything else like yeah, oh, I, I haven't seen too, right? Schindler's List I gotta watch that <laughs> I haven't seen it either Munich. so I'm with you I haven't seen Munich either Munich and Schindler's List are the top like that and Sitting Private Ryan are by far Spielberg's best you know I prefer uh, <laughs> I, I prefer uh, his uh, recent E.T. I prefer Tintin BFG Tintin oh, yeah, oh, wait, Tintin. Tintin and BFG you know it's the fantasy I like fantasy BFG. BFG. <laughs> what a dumb name for a film. Also. A big, like, big I would just... I'm sure. Giant. It's big, like, a, it's like a classic. Big fucking giant. And I immediately think if you're going to have an F in there, like, it's like big fucking it's giant. Like, dude, but that's like a, it's like a classic, like, story. 
You know? It's a Roald Dahl movie, yeah. yeah. Like, everyone knows, like, what BFG is. If you're British, at least. <laughs> Which, Should we, uh... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, none of us are British, so... <laughs> that's, that's literally what I was going to say. Are you glad you stopped? Um, let's... Well, yeah, I was just saying, like, we should do reviews, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've kind of been do doing some... We can do... Think, we gotta uh, be really quick. I think Keith... We're at 210. Keith should uh, go first. On picking? Are we guessing? Yeah, oh, we, we should guess. What's going on? We should guess. Okay. Okay, so who are we guessing first? Keith. Oh, okay. So we're guessing what he likes. I feel like this is easy. So I think it's easy too. (laughs) I think I think he likes nocturnal animals better. Uh, Same. I think uh, I think the um, well the narration obviously. Or I'm sorry, the lack of narration, which I learned (laughs) uh, recently. But also um, just the fact that it's um, it's it's more our house. Um, It's 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 more it's less. it's less of like a studio seeming feeling movie and it's more like uh you know it's more our house yeah it's our house it's more of an art house film that's why keith likes it yeah it is it's definitely more our house yeah i like nocturnal animals more yeah uh i liked perfume and i liked it more at the beginning and then the ending portions just kind of made me not like it as much just i don't know just it got too too big for its own britches. Like just kind of <laughs> like all the people in the orgy. They're like, yeah, oh, he's got. That's why they off. had to take off all their yeah. clothes. Yeah, no, it, I don't know. It just uh, you can I can suspend my disbelief for quite a bit of that, but the whole like suddenly that one scent makes everyone go fucking just crazy. Cloud everybody. Yeah, and then he pours it on himself to make it so that everyone eats him. Like they go so crazy that they actually consume him. Like I don't know. See, that that's what just... I love. I love the magical realism yeah. aspect of that because that's what the that's where that comes in. I guess yeah. That's that's, that's what I really like. I really like that part. Yeah, I don't know. It's just not a other thing. I would I'd probably say like you know three stars or something. Like I was. I'm glad you watched it, it though. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it. yeah. Me that's too. awesome. Yeah, I think without the whole like plot line of him being like, because I really like I like like learning about like serial killer psychology yeah. and stuff like that. Um, so like without that aspect, I totally wouldn't have liked the movie. I don't think, yeah. but that definitely like you know being able to see those steps happen is interesting I think the movie would have been better if the title was just Perfume because it would yeah. have been better if someone that you don't know really, that he's a murderer that he's, go- that yeah. he's going to come in to yeah. become like a serial killer I think it would have been better and, but like you said the whole point of the movie is not even that like to call it story of a murderer yeah, he murders, but like, but that's not. They basically do it off screen and on a montage. Yeah, it's not like a. It's it's not the point of the movie. I mean, the point is this like obsession of trying to find yeah. this scent and to right. re to re to capture what that girl had. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know? I, 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 that's funny. I love that because because I like the title for the same reason. <laughs> like, I think I like that it's like because even the the movie kicks off. You know, he's a murderer. You know. Like, you know, yeah. he killed a bunch of people. And it's like, it's kind of cool that you know he's a murderer to start with, but then suddenly you start feeling bad for him a little bit. And you, you know? kind of forget like, about it. Yeah. And you start to, like, kind of relate to him. And, like, it's kind of fucked up. Like, I feel like this is one of the <laughs> few movies. That's why I liked it. It's one of the few movies where, like, you're, like, on the side, like, where the serial killer, you're, like, you care way more about him 
and his journey than anyone else in the movie. Like, what other movie yeah. is like that where it's like a where it, where it's not like an antihero? Because I wouldn't even call him an antihero. No, you know. Yeah, and it is kind of cool because like. Uh, Alan Rickman's character you could tell he has a, 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 a really deep love for his daughter yeah so that's kind of sweet um, and, and the fact that like the character that you see that it's like a good relationship and then the fact that the main character that you're also liking wants to like kill her is, is just is just kind of funny yeah <laughs> twisted which is kind of cool yeah, yeah. totally <laughs> uh, so let's do Jacob next that's actually a tough one. It's funny because I know that he likes, I think, both of these movies. Um, I'm going to go with Perfume. But I'm going to go with Perfume. I think it's... Uh, but, but I know that he really does like both of these movies. I think Perfume is more of... It's more coming of age. And it's more... <laughs> it's more... Um... <sighs> I don't know what the I don't know what the what the term is. It's more like it's less art house. <laughs> it's more main. It's like it's it's the besides the obvious parts like the orgy, the murder. It's more of a mainstream right like thing. And my perception of you is more in the mainstream <laughs> generally than more in the art house. So I'm gonna go with perfume. Interesting. Plus, apparently, you really, really love narration. Um, and Nocturnal Animals didn't have <laughs> that, narration, that, so, like, I, you know, I it, gotta say... Let me, let me clarify. I don't love narration. I love good narration, okay? Bad narration sucks. And supposedly, Perfume had good narration, so I'm gonna go with Perfume. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, go with, I'm gonna go with Perfume because I think at one point, a couple episodes back, you had mentioned that you wanted to use my body because <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> What? <laughs> I'll be, what I'll, be, I'll be. I believe you, about, but like, what did I say? Because I, 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 I mentioned that I really like perfume, and then you said, "Oh, me too." Uh, and then you said something like, "You know, <laughs> something to the effect." <laughs> like I'd want to use like, your body and create a perfume yeah. out of your body. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, something to you know. It was it was in a comedic manner, but <laughs> you know, I did. I have to take as many compliments as I can, so. <laughs> It stuck with me. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm partly nothing like that. that uh, B yeah. Ryan scent, you know. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's drop yeah. the ball. Oh, okay, it. yeah, drop the ball. Drop uh, the yeah, mic. you guys are both right. No, drop the ball. Drop the mic. Uh, right, uh, perfume. Yeah, for sure. Um, this is honestly really hard because I like both these movies a lot. Um, but I think where perfume gets me more is uh, that it is storybook. Um, <laughs> Because I, I like storybook uh, a lot, um, but uh, and just like his whole journey and the magical realism, I just absolutely like. I love Birdman, and I love Pan's Labyrinth, and I, I I really need to dive into more Terry Gilliam just to get more magical realism uh, in my life. Yeah, you, and you'd like Tideland? Should, I'd like what? Tideland. Oh, t- yeah, yeah. Y- you would love that movie. Um, and I think we should do magical realism on the podcast because I think that would be that's like a very specific genre that that we could dive yeah. into. Um, That'd be cool. But yeah, I also love nocturnal animals like a lot. Um, you know, it's the thriller. It's it's so thrilling and it's so tense and um, 
the ending, I, I absolutely love the ending. Uh, we didn't even talk about his death in that movie, J- Hall's death. Yeah, and he shoots himself at the end, and it's like... And then he goes... And then how often is it that's, that when you get hit in the head, the character becomes blind? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you know? Yeah. And then... That's a whole thing too. Like oh, I don't want to get in, I don't want to get back into it. Never mind. I don't want to. You want to dive back, back in? No, no, no. Yeah. We, we're already past time. Already so past you, time. you finish your thing. You finish. Okay. Your thing. But but anyways, yeah. Just kind of like I I saw that movie as a metaphor. Um, I'm sure a lot of people saw it this way, but like she, he, he, like basically like he wrote the book like to 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 spite like inspired by her experience um or by her leaving him and killing his kid and that's literally like what happens in the in the fiction world is like she like her character dies like Ilsa Fisher dies and her kid dies and it's like it's just really fascinating that like it's kind of it's kind of like his life just like broke apart because of her and like he like feels like he physically died inside which is like him dying in the novel right and like going blind and being called weak by these things and just how it's all like woven in together in like with the flashbacks and everything i just thought was like really 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 cool and yeah. just i love the ending so this was a really hard pick for me but um i'm just going to go with uh perfume just cuz i like it more Sweet, yeah, cool. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna say Byron likes perfume more because you said it was one of your favorite movies. Yeah, like he did ever. say that. I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna go Nocturnal only because I think it hits the tone a little more, um, and because um, I'll, it's like. It's seriously like a Byron, like wet, like this was like Byron's dream movie to make. Yeah, because it's really like w- high end shit, like fancy clothes, fa- yeah, like look fashion. at the house, like all like the most expensive yeah. houses, the aesthetic, the tone, the aesthetic, the tone, the cross cutting, the art house, the references, the neon demon. I really <laughs> want to say Nocturnal Animals, yeah. but I'm just gonna go take you at your face value that you said is one of your favorite movies. I, and just so I'm gonna you. go Nocturnal. I'm gonna I'm gonna switch that. Cool. Um, perfume. I like perfume better. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? fuck. Yeah. Why? Man. So, okay. You're wrong. So, <laughs> it, I was right. The reason why. Is that wrong? Is that wrong? It's because of the narration. That's why. <laughs> so, I love Nocturnal Animals. Like, I, that movie is fantastic. And I, 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 I like use, like, for everything that you said. And I, again, I, I, I like Tom Ford's visual style. I really liked his first film, A Single Man. Like, the cinematography and the editing and the way things are composed and the music and how everything was put together was really good. And, um, Maybe even I don't. It's nocturnal animals is great because I just like how it's dark and it has that blend, like you had mentioned. Um, and I also like I love the architecture of like you know like her house and stuff like that, and and the art museum and just uh, all that stuff is just fantastic. And I really and I also really liked Isla Fisher's um, performance. I thought that was kind of underrated, uh, underappreciated. Yeah, people, I think she's didn't. an underappreciated actor. Yeah, Pe- like I mean, period. She, she's she's known for like comedy stuff but she kills it in this like intense r- role as this victim you know yeah. like and it was very believable yeah. um so i really i mean i really did i i really do like nocturnal animals the reason why i like perfume and the reason why i picked it because 
it's an epic. It's a two and a half hour fucking movie that you get yeah. completely transported into this fucking world that you cannot create anymore. Like, even if this movie was made today... It'd be CGI. It'd be all CGI. Yeah. All oh, the yeah. extras would be fucking CGI. This movie has this old school feel to it that I have not seen since. And even before that, I hadn't seen maybe since, like, Hook or something. You know, that big grand feel. Right. Um, you, d- you didn't and, think and, the and new Pan movie was... Had that? No. No. It's like, <laughs> it's like all CGI, you know? But, like, with Perfume, like, also, I just love the fact that um, when I first watched it, I... I uh, I had no idea um, where it was going to take me at all. I had no idea what the film was about, and I just watched it, and I was like, "Whoa, this is something else!" Like I, and I wasn't expecting such a big budget looking movie because I knew that it was like made it you know in Spain and that it was a German produced right, right. German finance. So I wasn't expecting it to look like it did. Um, and then just like I just like the the atmosphere of it, you know, and like the fact that it has magical realism. I love Black Swan, and Black Swan has some magical realism moments in it too. Okay, know? see, that's an example that I, of of magical yeah. realism that I like. You know, like like you know where you can take it that she is really forming into that bird, you know, or it's like a hallucination, or oh or, yeah, yeah, or, or whatever, you know, like you could take it different ways. And with perfume, I, I just liked how it. It transcends that that realistic part, and then that all these people fall in love with him and, and eat him and devour him through this smell. Yeah, like it's just, yeah. it's just genius to me. Um, and it's a movie that I wish hadn't been made because it's a movie that I would like to make, or I would have like if I had come up with that, uh, it would have been like my masterpiece. You know what I mean? It's like that type of movie that I maybe want to make someday. That that sort of that sort of thing that is maybe a little too big for the britches, you know, like it, 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 it's the concept is so out there, but yet it kind of makes sense, you know? Yeah. You like, you like, you buy it, you buy it yet, yet it's kind of ridiculous, but like you, you buy it despite the fact that it could never exist. Yeah. And just like black, just like black swan, you know, like, um, and that, and that's what I, I, that, that's why partly why I like both of those movies so much and that's why I like it better than Nocturnal Animals because I mean I've seen a lot of movies that are that touch upon that world that Nocturnal Animals kind of exists in but I haven't seen a lot of movies that tap into the the way the magical realism works in Perfume and how the character fucking hardly speaks and and yet it's a two and a half hour fucking movie and he kills people and I don't know just like there's so much to it and I like how it's how was yeah Germany's most expensive film at the time, and it's like about a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what's What's interesting about magical? Oh my gosh, it totally just left me. Realism. Yeah. I was totally <laughs> going to say something, but I forgot. Oh, uh, magical realism in films. Like, yes, this movie existed as a book, but like, why not have? more magical realism in film you know like because like film is the place to do it like film is i think film is like one of the most effective places to have magical realism because film is realism you know for i think think, mostly you know like you couldn't really get away with that on stage and have it be magical realism like you just couldn't 
because like so much of being like seeing a play is like metaphor anyways so like getting those metaphors in there as far as like a magical realism type thing doesn't just really work as well in on stage as it does in a movie and even in a book because like books can you know there are magical realism books but um it's just so much more effective in a movie because, like, every movie is realistic, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, like, the biggest hit that was magical realism and set, you know, in the last, like, five years or ten years or whatever would have been, like, Beasts of the Southern Wild or whatever. Yeah. Pan's Labyrinth, I like, think, is still one of the most popular. I guess Pan's Labyrinth, too. Yeah. That's, like, 2001 or but something. Pan's so Labyrinth was, like, 2005, right? Oh, 2005. Yeah, something like that. But, like, I, I feel... Um, and, like, Narcos. Pan, I feel like Pan's Labyrinth is more, like, in... More into, um... Like, actual fantasy? Actual, like, fantasy, yeah. yeah. Like, high highbrow, Lord of the Rings, you know, kind of fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, but, um... Wait, it's but kind Narcos... Of both. Narcos is the drug one. Yeah, that drug Netflix. Thing. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a Netflix movie or a Netflix show. But how is it? How is it magical realism? I, I haven't, I haven't it seen it. I just I read that it was. Apparently, it opens up with it's the not. definition of magical realism. Is, is it, it not magical that? realism? No, no. It opens up with a with a dev, with the definition of magical realism. Like oh, what like it, it is. kicks off with the oh. definition. Oh. Yeah, but yeah, the is, show is. Oh, it's not realism, actually though. magical realism. It's it's, it's like a. It's a gritty drama it's, or whatever, yeah, but it's like yeah. a crime. I, I keep know it's seeing like it referenced in guy. terms of magical realism. That's so weird. Yeah, that's weird. Because I mean, I, I'm 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 almost. I mean, I'm I've seen the first two seasons. I I, I haven't seen the newest season, but it is. There's no. That is bizarre oh. to me. Yeah, maybe I've been saying that. I haven't seen the show, so maybe that's I've been super. It's a no, fantastic show. I've been spreading that without knowing. Apparent? No, apparently it is. If you search for if you search magical realism on Google, you will come across Narcos. That is bizarre. Yeah, I gotta read more into that. Yeah, I wonder. Whoa. I wonder why. I should watch it. I wonder and see. why. Yeah, but obviously, like Birdman is was magical realism. Okay, right? I thought Scott Pilgrim was a good was you know not a terrible movie. Yeah, that's like that's kind of, that's kind of magical realism too. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard or seen Cashback. No, no, uh, that one's interesting. It's about a guy who has insomnia, so he gets like a job at a at a market or whatever at night, and then feels finds out he has the ability to stop time, so he uses it to like, I think it's like paint. Like he undresses people in the in the market and then uses it to like paint them and shit. Yeah, it's kind of a trip of a movie. Yeah, yeah it's the wow. it's the dude who plays. He plays someone in Harry Potter. He plays like one of the Quidditch people in Harry Potter, like one of the head dudes, Oliver Wood. Oh. Yeah, he plays that guy. Yeah, exactly. Shit, I don't have to check that out. Yeah. So that movie was I, I saw that movie a while ago, but I remember enjoying it. Huh. Oh. Yeah, I have seen Cashback. Yeah, in the supermarket. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. No, that's yeah. totally... Yeah, when he's walking around drawing people. I like... And, and uh, they don't have their clothes on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I like Amelie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, that's, 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 that's straight that, magical realism right there. Yeah, that director and then... I think that movie has narration in it, too, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, Amelie would be... It does, yeah. Uh, Amelie had... Uh, it, yeah, that's a that's a really good example yeah. of magical realism. I like that's uh, I, that's like a film bro movie too. That's like film. Yeah, that's like it is. A film bro's foreign film that he watched. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I remember liking Donnie Darko, but I think on a more rewatches, I think I would like it less and less. Oh yeah, I I, I really did not like that movie. 
We should watch it again because I haven't seen it. But yeah, I haven't seen it in, in a while. while. <laughs> According to this list, Train Spotting is on there. Really, for magical realism? Well, like the toilet. Because it doesn't the literally need Scotland. to be magic. Yeah, there's parts of it that are like outside but of the realm of, of reality. Like the whole scene where yeah. he's on uh, detoxing. Like, but he's like, but he's like tripping out, you know? Yeah, like detoxing. Well, so that's weird, right? But yeah. what about like the 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 toilet the like the grossest yeah, toilet in Scotland? That's where he's, the like, picture they use. In. Yeah, yeah, that's magical. That, real, that's a magical realism moment. But that to me, that just seems like that's just like what his mental state is. That's interesting. Yeah, in ter- I think magical realism. I think magic is the bad term for it. I think it's. But it's, it's because Narcos doesn't even have any of that. Because I think magic is. You're thinking magic. You're thinking it needs to be something that's magical, like in the sense. It's more like it uses a heightened sense of reality to just. It uses real stuff and then heightens the realness into something not real to to better explain the story. Like, Narcos doesn't even right. seem like that to me. It's just like pure like a crime. You know, right. you're trying to catch Escobar. Yeah. You know, like well, Big Fish. That's oh, a Big good Fish. Example. That's yeah, a, yeah, that's a good example. But yeah. like, I wouldn't call like the new Dread magical real- realism, even though it ha- like because like they all get hopped up on those drugs. Like it give it gives it a sense of like reality. You know, yeah. magical realism is like science. there isn't like a way for you to look at it in a realistic way. It's just yeah. kind of happening. Like, and and it it doesn't care. Not that it doesn't care to explain. It just like there is no explanation for like, you know, like Scott Pilgrim pulling Ramona towards the door in the middle of the street makes no sense. If you think about the logistics of it, like why is the door there? How is she flying that way? You know, Um, or I think it was the opposite. She's pulling him. Um, But you get that like they're running back to the her apartment and he's just like she's pulling him along like but you like get the feeling of, of it i think like american gods that tv show would be magical realism uh apparently no wonder this film didn't take off because pan's labyrinth came out the same year yeah so it kind of overshadowed it a uh, little bit because these are um, kind, they're kind of they're kind of similar movies right they're pretty similar yeah, yeah. they're uh, period magical realism uh movies exactly yeah. and both exactly. filmed in spain <laughs> exactly, and one uh, has cool ass creatures in it, like like the eye hands guy. Yeah, this <laughs> this list is saying the Green Mile is also oh, magical. Yeah, yeah that's magical. That. The Green Mile, yeah, for sure. Because he has Cinema the Paradise or whatever. Which one in Paradise? Cinema Paradise. Oh, Cinema Paradise. Cinema Paradise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Princess Bride. Obviously, See, is to me in that there. seems more fantasy. Yeah, because uh, that one it's it, they're like reading a fantasy book. Yeah, but I guess it's um, Midnight in Paris. I guess it is. It is magical realism because of like they're bringing him back from the dead, and it's. I guess it, could, you could look at it as more of a period, um, yeah. piece because like everything is like real in that except for him coming back from like, you know, being dead. Yeah, mm-hmm. but this uh, either way. I haven't seen this yet, but I'd like to. Synecdoche, New York. Oh, that's oh, magical good. realism. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen that's that really either. Really good. Yeah. Oh, it's good. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. yeah. So, and, like, there's movies out Cop- there. Though. Kaufman, yeah. right? Co- is that the yeah Charlie Kaufman? Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. All the Hoffmans. Um, yeah, there's definitely magical realism. I think we could touch on that. Would be good. Um, Let's do it for sure. But before we get going for too long, I think we should wrap it up. Yeah. Um, 
So if you have any questions, topics, suggestions, opinions, or if you have any fact corrections, send an email to btbfilmspodcast at gmail.com. We're always trying to learn new things, so we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can also visit our Facebook page and join our group to comment on or discuss this week's episode or any past episodes, all of which can be found on iTunes and at soundcloud.com slash btbfilms. If you like the show, please, 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 please rate it and leave a comment on iTunes because it helps uh, move us up the list on iTunes so others can find us. Um, our intro and outro music was composed by Curtis Skinner, who can be found at skinnyproducing.com. Next or week, in the film uh, <laughs> The Skinner of a Murder. That doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> the story of a Skinner. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, my God. Actually, that's so much better. Oh, my God. Oh, he kind, of does that. kind of, yeah. yeah. He, he takes the reap the, yeah, the, 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 the sickle. He takes the sickle to yeah. kind of pull the, the fat off him. Yeah, yeah. The story of Skinny. Yeah. The story of skinny. Yeah, there you go. Uh, perfume. The story of skinny. <laughs> God, I hope he. Um, uh, I hope he listens to. I w- all does these he episodes. know that we like every Probably episode not. at the end? I, no, I, I doubt he listens to to us ramble we for two him. and a half hours. I'm um, not going to tell him. I want him to discover by himself. <laughs> the first episode he should listen to is the Blade Runner episode. Yeah, yeah that's when <laughs> they start. He, he needs to see Blade Runner first, though. Yeah. Oh yeah, he does. He should. Yeah, he, he should did. just for the music yeah. alone. Yeah. Um. So next week we are going to have another guest on, and we will be covering the films. Uh, we will be covering Sam Raimi's Spider Man, the first one, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking first one, and then uh, the 1983 Superman movie. Um, these were chosen by the guest, and he also chose uh, reinventing the superhero genre as a topic. Um, so, yeah. So, again, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Uh, that's the one with Tobey Maguire. And 1983 Superman, which... Is that a... Is that... That's not Reeves, is it? Yeah, it's I the Reeves one. it is Reeves. Is it yeah, Reeves? I haven't okay. seen the, it yet. That's going to be Yeah, I haven't seen it either. Uh, and then after that, we'll be doing Jacob's episode, which is Logan Noir and uh, Black and Chrome version of Mad Max. And then... Which I don't know how it's going to work with Thanksgiving and everything. Um, yeah, because we wanted to do a Thanksgiving episode in there. So... Yeah, I don't know. And then when to record... Um, how that's going to work. You guys don't want to um, record on Thanksgiving? Because I do. I don't care. I I, I don't want to. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think I'd be able to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My Thanksgiving's going to be pretty low key, but anyway, uh, then Jake, so somewhere we might do a Thanksgiving episode, then Jacob's episode, and then my episode, which I don't know how it's going to work either, because then we planned birthday episodes, and then my birthday's on the 3rd of December, so... Um, Your maybe birthday's I'll just December get a, 3rd? Yeah. Oh, that's maybe the same I'll just as get a, uh, Gavin's, my cousin. Oh, is it? Nice. Yeah. Maybe we should have a guest on, and then... Not well, Gavin. Gavin yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe I'll just get a twofer. But anyway, one of I picked uh, Hard Boiled and Hero are going to be the I'm two films. That, yeah. um, me too. Sucks that it's like six weeks away. Um, anyway, so we'll get around to those, and then a Christmas thing, and yeah, and then be pretty much finishing up the year. So. Yeah, uh, anyway, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man and 1983 Superman. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye.